Hi, fantasy book lovers, TGIF. This is Thank Gods It's Fantasy Podcast. We are Kayla, Veronica, and Brianna, three best friends who love talking about all things books. From the romance, the conflict, and of course, morally gray men, every two weeks we will be getting together to talk about our theories, opinions, and reviews of our current read. Please read along, join in, and be one of our book besties too. Welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. In this episode, we will be recapping the second book of Crescent City, House of Sky and Breath by Sarah J. Moss. We would also like to announce a disclaimer that many of the books, including this one in particular, contain strong adult content. We are all adults here. So if explicit language or content is not for you, then turn back while you still can. Fair warning, towards the end of this episode, we will be deep diving into our thoughts and theories for what is to come in book three. That includes pulling from the Sarah J. Moss universe at large. So if you do not want to hear potential spoilers, please stop listening to our podcast when we get to the theories section. So everyone, this episode will be very similar to our recap for book one. We will go through each part of the book's major major plot points before discussing our thoughts. And please join in and share your thoughts with us too after listening. All right, guys. So I'm going to start with recapping part one, The Chasm. We first enter the prologue where we meet a new character, Sophie. She is currently in the Kavala death camp. Sophie is a human who made the drop and has traits of a veneer without being identified as a veneer. Sophie is part of the Ophian rebels, just as her family had been. Her parents and grandparents were killed by either the Hind or her squadron of dreadwolves roughly three years ago. Sophie worked for the rebels in order to gain information about her brother, Emil. Pippa, leader of the Lightfall unit, helped allow Sophie to enter into the death camp to attempt to save her brother. We find out that Sophie has information that could end the war with the Asteri. Whatever could that be? Sophie told no one of this information before going into this death camp, but she let it slip to Ophian and Pippa that she harbored this information so that they would help save her and her brother from the camp instead of potentially leaving them there to die. After three years of searching, she found out her brother was being kept in this death camp and she gets caught herself. So then she makes an escape nights later with Emil and 11 other children from the camp at the request of her brother. As they are escaping, we see Sophie use her veneer ability, which allows her to absorb power into her body. The alarm sounds to the death camp, and Sophie and the children urgently make their way to a van being driven by an agent, Silverbow. While Sophie did not know his real name, we see that Silver and Sophie are more than just acquaintances. Silver tells Sophie, as they are mid-escape, that the hind is close by with her dreadwolves. The van arrives close to the boat, that is to be used to help them further escape. Sophie tells Silver to get the children to the boat so she can hold off the dreadwolves. She continues to suck up energy around her. She uses some of that power and aims it at the fountain that floods a market square with water. She allows the wolves to circle in before aiming that power at the water that the wolves are standing in. The wolves shout that Sophie is a thunderbird. Sophie is in fact half human, half thunderbird. Most Thunderbirds have been hunted to extinction by the Asteri, but she has managed to keep the secret hidden enough to be alive to this day. After her family had been killed or taken, she divulged her Thunderbird abilities to the Ophian rebels so they would help her find her brother. 
Sophie, after hitting the wolves with her power, takes off back towards the docks. She sees the boat with Silver and the kids on it, and she realizes that Silver has been shot with a Gorsian bullet, which stifles magic. The same sniper who shot Silver comes into view behind the hind. The sniper gets a shot into Sophie's leg. The boat then takes off, leaving Sophie behind, but it's heading straight for four Imperial submersible warships. Dun, dun, dun. We come to Pippa Spetsos. Is that how we say that, guys? That's Aboard a rebel. Thank you. Aboard <laughs> a rebel ship that is there to help with this escape. Buff finds out that only Agent Silverbow and the boy made it to the ship. Pippa has the gunners prepared to help distract the four Imperial warships, but as Pippa looks out, she sees that all the lights on the horizon are going out. The power is then used to sink the first Imperial warship, followed by all three, one after the other. Mm-hmm. Pippa ponders if it was Sophie or Emile's power that were able to take out all four ships. We cut back to Sophie laying on the dock. She has used up too much power tonight. The hind comes up to her and commends her on her use of her power to kill many of her dread wolves. She also remarks that her brother's power is impressive as it downed all four of the Imperial warships. The hind wants to know who Sophie shared her intelligence with. Sophie admits that she told no one and the hind believes her. She binds Sophie's wrists with Gorsian shackles. The hind then takes her out on a small boat into the water. Sophie sees the hind throw a small white stone from her pocket down into the water waters below. Some of the hind's wolves then bound Sophie's feet with chains attached to lead blocks. Sophie is thrown into the water to drown, which Sophie sees as a mercy of a quick death. The hind watches Sophie as she sinks to the water's depths. I would not so. see that as a mercy. Drowning is yeah, know, but, but what the, the hind is known for her cruelty, <laughs> like but truly, I just remember reading that and being like, she was so relieved that that was how she was going to die. I mean, so she I couldn't guess. believe it. Yeah, she yeah, couldn't she was like, it. wow, that was very kind of her, and I was like, how interesting that that's when, kind, but okay. <laughs> no, but whenever I see movies and people like are getting drowned Drown or whatever, them. and then their body just like convulses, I'm just like, ah. Oh. Yeah. I know. Um, wouldn't personally be a way that I would be like, yay, this is how I'm going to die, but to each their own. <laughs> Torture also, is like, also bad. Being cut up doesn't also sound like the way. Or like true your family I watching you I be would cut up. I prefer drowning at that point. Oh, God. I mean, I mean not she that also I really did get her pick my way to die. Out. Yeah, like when a badass. She, was in the camp. Mm-hmm. she sure mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, come she... at me again. I have no nails yes. left anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, that gets me. Anytime nails or teeth or eyes, mm. I'm out. I'm out. I will tell you whatever you want to know at that point, guys. If anyone tortured me, <laughs> I would say everything at that point. Because that just is too much for me. Yeah. All right, guys. Anywho, after the prologue, we cut to Ember, Randall, Bryce, and Hunt all going to the ballet to watch Juniper from a private box in the theater. Three months have passed since the attack on the city, where we find out a grand total of 5,000 people had died. We see that people now openly stare at Bryce. So much so that Ember even teases people that they can pay to get a picture of Bryce for 10 gold marks, or for 15 gold marks, they can even be in the picture with Bryce. Bryce has been coping with everything by either talking to Hunt about what has happened or sweating it out in the dance class she now takes twice a week. So happy that she is dancing again. 
Bryce now works at the Fay Archives. Ember, shockingly, isn't a huge fan. <laughs> Jessica apparently cleared out the gallery the day after the attack on the city. Most of the gallery pieces now live in a warehouse, but not the Great Library of Parthos. Bryce has no idea where that has been hidden away. Ember brings up that things seem weird between Hunt and Bryce. Bryce and Hunt struck up a bargain to get to know each other better, but with no benefits. They plan on wah, waiting wah. until the winter solstice to finally do the deed, which apparently is in another four months, three days, and four hours. But, you know, who's counting down? <laughs> As they get situated in their private box, we get a glimpse of Fury sitting in the front row. And apparently, two weeks ago, Juniper and Fury had moved in together. I just Aww. love them. Randomly, right before the show begins, the star-shaped scar on Bryce's chest lights up. Oh, shit. Now everyone is staring. She attempts to cover it up, but the light continues to peek through her hands. Thank God for Hunt's big hands. He's able to cover <laughs> up the scar and block the light until it winks out of its own accord. The orchestra then begins to play as the ballet begins. After ditching Bryce's parents at a hotel later, they head to Rune's place for a small get-together, aka a full-blown rager. Bryce, Hunt, Juniper, and Fury are all hanging out in Rune's living room, drinking and talking about how good June's performance was in the ballet, and that soon she should be a principal dancer. Bryce privately asks Hunt if it bothers him to be at the party because people seem to either not care about what shit's going out in the real world, or they just seem completely unaware of what's going on. Bryce feels a little guilty for you know, wanting to feel normal. And then she's also mad that other people don't feel guilty. <laughs> Hunt explains that he just thinks people need a release after everything that has happened. Meanwhile, he continues to think about a different kind of release. Hunt. <laughs> such a dude. Still works. I, such a dude. Hunt still works for the 33rd, just no longer as a slave. He gets an email while at this party that reveals that two new archangels have been chosen for Micah's and Sandriel's territories. Ephraim will replace mm -hmm. Sandriel in northern Pangera, while Celestina will take over from Micah. Hunt mentions that he has only heard good things about Celestina, but doesn't trust it, obviously. Mm -hmm. She also only apparently ruled over a small population of 50 before this which is interesting, and she didn't even have a triari. Celestina will arrive to meet those left of Micah's triari tomorrow evening. Bryce tells Hunt to be an approachable asshole instead of his typical asshole self when she when he <laughs> finally gets to meet her. Rune is in the middle of giving a sweet little fawn some oral sex when Flynn, unfazed by what Rune is doing, interrupts. Flynn ignores the girl and tells him to come downstairs and to bring his star sword with him. Rune comes down and Declan tells him that the security system picked up some sort of anomaly. A portal opens at the front door of his house and a golden haired fae male walks in joining the party. The fae male is revealed to be Cormac, the Avalon fae's crown prince who joined the party to meet his bride. Oh, sweet daddy dearest, a.k.a. the Autumn King has made an agreement with the king of the Valenfey for Bryce and Cormac to do their royal duties and wed each other. <laughs> oh, God. Rune, Bryce, and Hunt all tell Cormac essentially to go to hell and get the hell out of the house. Um, clearly, Bryce does not agree with this. Bryce, after 
getting told that she's to be wed, decides her parents need to get out of town before they hear news of her engagement. We also find out that Cormac is the cousin that was close to killing Rune, Declan, and Flynn during their ordeal. Cormac had wanted the Star Sword after pouring himself over research about it. Bryce and Hunt then head home, just as Bryce is about to call her parents. They walk into her apartment and find Ethan Holstrom in the middle of the living room, bleeding all over the floors. But thankfully, not on her white couch. Not the couch. Never the couch. <laughs> her, She's got her a thing couch. for that couch. White, white is the most impractical color. I can't. She kills me. But also the Anywho, inside of my car is white, so I kind of get I it. mean, this is true. You a little ballsy also. Ballsy. To each their own. With the but kids. the way this woman gets in trouble, she she should know better. As of late, yes. <laughs> yes. So then we cut to Therion Kitos, captain of intelligence for the River Queen, being punished for having pictures posted of him with risky captions by other females. I love that it wasn't even him. It was like other people posting about him that like <laughs> brought on this. The River Queen's daughter, who is also Therion's betrothed, did not appreciate these posts. So now Therion is being forced to search the bottom of the Haldron Sea for Sophie. The River Queen had heard whispers of the girl from the water and wanted to know what came of her. Therion, after many hours of scouring the ocean steps, found the chains and lead blocks Sophie had been attached to, but the chains were unlocked and there was no body to be found. Therion shared that information with the River Queen. She has Therion continue to look for both Sophie and Emil, so she might be able to use their Thunderbird powers for herself. Why, ma'am? Why? Mm-hmm. We then come back to Ethan. Bryce and Hunt are scrambling to find out what happened to him and find the first aid kit. We find out that Ethan was brought to the apartment by Perry Ravenscroft, Omega of his pack, and also younger sister to stupid Amelie. Stupid. Ethan. Ugh, Ethan was attacked by Sabine and many of the other members in his pack were going against Sabine in an article. Sabine had told this article that Bryce was simply a party girl and happened to be in the right place and she was just seeking fame while the wolves were the ones that actually helped save people. Ma'am. Ethan, God bless his soul, went on record saying that the wolves only went to help because of Bryce and that she saved the city. He may have also said that no one should convince them otherwise, especially those who weren't even in the city. Ethan definitely shot a a clear blow at Sabine there. Thank sure God. Bryce tells Ethan to stay the night and she even has him stay in her bed, much <laughs> to the disliking of Hunt. Bryce also manages to convince her parents to leave the city, city early. While Bryce and Ethan share this bed, they have a brief conversation about what happened with Bryce's drop and a little bit about Connor. This seems to help them bridge the gap that had been created over the last couple of years. So, Rune and Carmack are seen in the Autumn King study discussing Bryce and Cormac's engagement. Rune is adamantly telling his father that this is modern times and lawyers will happily try to help Bryce out of this marriage. Cormac then makes references to Rune's engagement to Hypaxia. Cormac reveals that Hypaxia is a necromancer and is actually half-sister to the Hind, as they share the same mother, Queen Hecuba. What? Rune takes this information in stride. 
how, I do not know, and continues <laughs> to argue with his father and Cormac about Bryce's engagement. Did we forget that she is with Hunt? You know, that super powerful angel that she's dating. Well, the king <laughs> decides to mention that she doesn't bear his scent, so clearly they have not consummated their relationship yet. Gross. He's smelling the her. Fact, <laughs> the fact when he's having people trail her to see if the scent arises, it's not even necessarily him. He's having people literally follow her and make sure that the scent has not. I'm like, cringe. Ew. Like, can you imagine? I can't. I live like that makes me feel so icky. <laughs> Anywho, the Autumn King says Cormac is the son he should have had, but instead he got burdened with Rune. I. <laughs> I'm so mad at this. I love Rune so much. So politely F off. We see Ethan is still at the apartment staying with Bryce and Hunt. Bryce seems quick to forgive Ethan and they reminisce about stories from when they were friends before. Hunt is a little more protective, but Ethan takes it in stride. We get a peek at Bryce at her new job in the Fae archives. Bryce continues to miss Lily and mourns her friend. Bryce happens to call Jessica while she's at work to try and get a bust of Thur verified. Apparently, Bryce still regularly makes phone calls to Jessica and Jessica continues to answer. Jessica offers advice in regards to Bryce's new engagement. And in her typical Jessica fashion, she threatens to turn Bryce into a toad for doing her job for her. <laughs> Cormac, mm -hmm. Hayes, Bryce a visit at her workplace, where once again her star-shaped scar lights up. We find out the Oracle told Cormac that he was destined to unite with a princess who possessed a star in her heart, and that their mingling would bring great prosperity to their people. I mean, it definitely sounds like Bryce. We also find out that the Avalon Fae are a lot more old-fashioned and that women don't typically have jobs, which don't love. Bryce, true to form, continues to make side remarks to Cormac and tries to strike a deal to get out of the engagement. Cormac holds strong on staying engaged and tells Bryce to grow up and start acting starborn already, which, <laughs> rude. Alcohol feels appropriate for him in this moment. I won't lie. To yes, you. I will yep. accept that. Today is the day Hunt finally gets to meet Celestina. She appears to be genuinely nice and tells the Triari that she is looking for partners and not subservience. She also tells Isaiah that she will continue Micah's pursuit in freeing him from slavery. Celestina even apologizes for Micah's actions. Hunt is shook that an archangel actually knows how to say they're sorry for anything? Celestina then reveals that the rest of the Triari were delayed slightly, so their meeting tomorrow morning can be a little later. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? The rest of the Triari? How weird. Um, apparently, the Asteri forgot to communicate this tidbit of information. Well, in comes Pollux, the Hammer, and Baxian, the Hellhound, from Sandril's old Triari. Uh-oh, Hunt is <laughs> not a fan. Pollux, in his typical fashion, is eyeing the group and says a brief hello, and Hunt then tackles him to the ground. <laughs> this leads Hunt straight into a cell. I died. Bryce comes in to get her approachable asshole, who is moping within his cell. He even tells Bryce to leave, and she will see him at home, which I cannot. Like, he's... He's being so dumb. 
Bryce ignores Hunt's woe is me antics. Pollux and Bryce also get into it while he's sitting in his own cell. Baxian also happens to be there just hanging out, not in a cell, just watching how things go down. And he makes a comment to Bryce about being glad somebody finally put a bullet through Micah's head. Is that, is that why he's here? He just wanted to mention that to her. Bryce continues to scold Hunt for getting into a fight, and Celestina agrees that Bryce can take him home, but she better keep him in line. Gotta say, I just love Celestina's energy. Right off the bat, she just seems a lot more down to earth than the uh, rest of the Archangels have been to this point. Definitely improvement from the previous Micah who was there, so. I mean... I would hope you'd go up from there, but, you know, you could have also gone down, so. Well, yeah, because like Micah was, like, <clears throat> Micah better was than Sandril. Improvement from Sandril, so. Yeah, so, God bless. <laughs> Anywho, so then we get a little insight into how Therion lives his life. He predominantly spends time in an apartment that is dry because he enjoys things like TV, computers. He appreciates sleeping in a warm, cozy bed. Same. He just has to get his fins wet for at least five minutes-ish every 24 hours. Therion is doing more research into Sophie and finds a weird email thread between her and someone called BansheeFan56 about Desk's Truth, Project Thur, and a rendezvous spot if needed. Hmm, how interesting. BansheeFan56 is none other than Danica Fendir. Does this girl cease to be in every shenanigan that goes on in Lumathian? Right? No. Mm hmm. Therion gets news that there's an abandoned boat that could have been used by Emil. Therion goes to check it out and sends a child that has been on the boat. He can continues to look around but finds the scent of blood nearby and finds an adult arm in the marsh, which appears to have Sobek bites on it. The Ophian insignia remained on the torn sleeve of this arm. It looks like he is not the only one looking for the boy. Hunt and Bryce go on an ice cream date where Hunt gets distracted by how Bryce is eating her ice cream. This man needs to release already. It's just too much. Like every time he looks at this woman, he like cannot. Um, anywho, Bryce is ignoring that. And she tells Hunt that her bike is making a weird noise and Hunt offers to fix it. We find out due to Hunt's powers, he has a bit of an affinity for how machines work. Apparently, Sandril took advantage of that and had him make certain things not work so people would inevitably be killed. Bryce talks about how she likes Celestina and Hunt seems to be more skeptical. Bryce tells him to behave himself because she can't bear to watch him get his wings cut off again or any other potential horror. Hunt mentions to Bryce that she has come around fast to Ethan Holstrom after everything that has happened in the past two years. She says she doesn't have time to hold grudges anymore. Bryce says they need to go home as both Syrinx and Ethan need dinner. I just love that she looped them in together like they're both pets. Um, Two puppies. Especially since, you know, all of the little dog jokes that ensue, I feel like, in regards to Ethan. So on the way back to the apartment, we see our first glimpse of a reaper. Reapers are previously human or veneer that offer their souls to the Underking so they can live forever, unable to age or be killed, but they can never sleep. 
eat or enjoy any sort of human-like thing ever again. So interesting um, trade-off, I guess. They then run into Therion, who follows Bryce and Hunt back to her apartment. Ethan is chilling on the couch as they come in, petting Syrinx. Bryce tells Therion not to sit on her white couch as he is still wet. Hunt crumbles that these white couches are dumb. <laughs> I just love that he also thinks it's dumb. Therion takes a seat, not on the couch, and then questions Bryce about whether Danica knew someone named Sophie. Therion eventually divulges that Sophie is a rebel who was captured by the Hind. Sophie and her younger brother, Emil, both have full Thunderbird powers. Bryce is adamant that Danica wasn't a rebel and knew nothing of Sophie. She is also upset that Therion is going after a child, regardless of his Thunderbird status. Rune then shows up at the request of Bryce and gets a quick rundown on what Therion has shared. Bryce continues to say that she will need to find the kid first because what the hell does the River Queen want to do with him? Therion also shares that Danica told Sophie of a safe location to hide where the weary souls find relief from their suffering. Bryce tells Therion she will ask Fury if she knows anything about Danica and Sophie tomorrow morning. Therion says he will return tomorrow at lunch to find out what Bryce learns. Therion then leaves. Bryce is set in her goal to find a meal. Hunt is fearful about getting involved in anything that could lead to potential retribution from the Asteri. The group then orders pizza. Flynn and Deck enter Bryce's apartment with their own key. Apparently, Declan added their fingerprints to their Bryce's security system and copy Rune's key, um, which I love because this just feels very Declan after everything yep. that had occurred For at sure. the end of the last book. <laughs> Flynn and Deck come in in stride, making several pup, pup jokes toward Ethan. We then get a little more insight into the boys' ordeal against Cormac. Ethan is confused at the hate towards another Fae. He thinks all Fae get along. Well, apparently, Albarn Fae and Valin Fae hate each other. So the boys were visiting King Morvan, Cormac's dad, and ordered them to attempt to retrieve the Star Sword because Declan bragged that they could get the Star Sword and one Valbar and Fae was better than 10 of Val and Fae. They then went on their ordeal, but King Morvan sent Cormac and two other Fae to hunt them down. Deep in the catacombs, they encountered blood-sucking spirits and Rune ended up disarmed. Da -da -da. Thankfully, Rune pulled the Star Sword and the spirits fled and Cormac and the other two Fae went back to their king who was Yust. Rune, mind speaks with Bryce, and mentions that maybe Ethan could come stay with him, Declan, and Flynn. Meanwhile, Ethan is still staying with Bryce and Hunt, but Hunt offers this time to stay in Bryce's room, and e Ethan can have Hunt's room all to himself. Was somebody a little jealous? I think yes. <laughs> Ember calls the next morning. Wah, wah. She found out about Bryce's engagement to Cormac, and she is livid. Ember is hurt that Bryce didn't tell her, and she says she just wants to help. Bryce thanks her mom for the guilt trip. Ember responds in kind by saying that she's there if her highness requires her, and then promptly hangs up before Bryce can get a word in. Honestly, Ember is ruthless, and I Love it. During Bryce and Ember's phone call, Hunt happened to overhear that Cormac came to visit Bryce at the Fae Archives. 
Han is briefly hurt, but Bryce explains it away by reminding him that he was busy getting locked up in a cell, and then all the stuff with Therion happened. Han, Lance, Bryce know that Therion's visit brought up a lot of old shit for him, and that he wants to talk things through before they do anything rash in regards to Sophie or Emil. Bryce then takes off to go meet with Fury. Bryce tells Fury everything that happened with Therion. Fury says she knows nothing about Danica's potential involvement with the rebels. Fury does reveal the only other secret she knows about Danica, which is that she's a bloodhound. A bloodhound is someone who can scent bloodlines. Danica apparently smelled something on Fury, so in exchange for a Fury secret, Fury also kept Danica's secret until now. I just feel so sorry for Bryce. Mm -hmm. I just feel like she will be learning something new about Danica for forever. And that's got to feel so hurtful in some mm -hmm. ways because they're not like little, oh, I just didn't know she liked this. No, this is a core part of Danica and she's finding this mm -hmm. out after. I just feel bad for her that it just never ends. I know. So... Hunt goes to work at the 33rd and we get an encounter between Baxian and him where Baxian shares that while he was not a true slave like Hunt was, that he had little choice when it came to serving Sandriel. Hunt does not believe this for one minute. Baxian also shares that he is to pair up with Hunt to learn the ropes. Lucky Naomi gets to deal with the hammer, which I... I just don't know how she wouldn't kill him. I I mean, other than I, he's not easy to kill, but I could not deal with that man ever. Hunt tells Baxian that his first rule of getting adjusted is to not talk to him unless he Hunt talks to him first, which shocker. Um, uh, Therion uh, arrives at Rose's apartment at lunchtime and joins Ethan on the white couch as he's not with this time. And they wait for Bryce to get back. Ethan and Therion chat for a bit, and Therion questions if Ethan really knew nothing of Danica's involvement with Sophie. The only weird thing Ethan remembers was that in college, Danica did research for this paper that had some sort of potential to get her into some serious trouble. Ethan apparently then asked Danica about it later, and she said she changed subjects, which is just not who she is. She is Go at it, go at it hard. So it was very unusual that she changed. Bryce and Rune are heading to the apartment to chat with Therion. Bryce reveals to Rune that Danica was a bloodhound. Bryce continues to explain that things just don't quite add up in regards to Sophie and Danica. Rune gives his brotherly advice to stay away from whatever Therion and the River Queen are doing, especially if Ophian are involved. He doesn't want the Asteri to come after her either. They both then open the door to her apartment and Bryce freezes. Ethan makes a comment about how sweet Bryce's cat is as a white cat is curled up on Ethan's lap. Dude, you really don't think you would have noticed a cat at this point? You have been there for at least two nights now. But yeah, some cats uh, don't live inside. Sometimes me outdoor <laughs> cats. Right? Yeah, I mean, Rex is there all the time. You think you, you wouldn't have noticed a cat? Like another ball? Something? I loved his obliviousness to this because he's just like, oh, your sweet little white cat. And well, also, like, Ada's just being like, hi, come pet me. Like, okay. No no shame about, like, weird. 
<laughs> Whatever makes him happy, I guess. Anywho, Bryce lets Ethan know that that is not a cat. Hunt shows up, a lightning ready to go. The Prince of the Chasm tells Hunt to calm down. Adis then lectures Bryce for not knowing how to use her powers yet. The Prince reveals to Bryce that she has Thea's light and her powers. So, apparently, Thea had a daughter named Helena. Peleus, Thea's high general, appointed himself prince, and he killed Thea and forcibly wed Helena. Peleus also stole Thea's sword and bore himself the horn. Helena was forced to bear Peleus's children, and he then passed these relics on to their offspring. Peleus sounds awful. I Gross. cannot get over the fact that he was a rapist. So gross. Like, all of that was just... And the fact that, like, this is who the Fae have been idolizing their entire Mm -hmm. life. Rune did not love either that he was descendant from this fucking rapist. But I'm glad he was so, like, willing to be like, oh, God, that's horrible. And did took it in stride, thankfully. He was just like, oh, ah, don't look. Mm -hmm. That's my (laughs) relative things. Yeah. Adis tells Bryce that Hell's armies will strike at her command when she comes into her power. Adis even encourages her to help Ophian if she needs some sort of authority to answer to. How weird. Bryce mentions she doesn't even know any rebels. Adis mentions that there is actually one right behind her now. Cormac steps up behind Bryce and Hunt. Adis calls Cormac Agent Silverbow. Oh, shit. The same Agent Silverbow from the prologue. So Cormac is the one who helped Sophie escape. Oh, I was shocked. I loved that reveal. I loved it so much. It just, because it felt, I don't know, the way she set it up was just. Mm-hmm. It was good. I was just like, what the? F- I know. Oh my gosh. So good. Anywho, Adis pieces out after he drops that bomb which feels right and Therion, Ethan, Bryce, and Hunt are left to question Cormac about what the hell's going on. Therion questions whether Sophie was Cormac's girlfriend. Uh-oh, that seemed to hit a little bit of a nerve. Cormac then accuses Bryce of knowing Sophie. Bryce tells him that she didn't know anything about her until yesterday when Therion showed up. Cormac asks Therion if he confirms Sophie's death or not, and he wants to know what Therion knows about Emil. We find out Cormac promised Sophie that he would take care of Emil. Emil apparently ran away from Pippa because he was afraid of her. Cormac explains that he thinks that was for the best, which is interesting considering they're helping the same people. Cormac saw Therion going through the marshes looking for Emil. When Therion kept coming to Bryce's apartment, Cormac assumed that maybe they were all involved. Cormac goes on to reveal to the group that Sophie had information that could bring down the Asteri, hence why the Hind killed her. Therion finally tells Cormac that he was unable to find Sophie's body. Cormac then looks hopeful that Sophie may have actually survived. Cormac tells Bryce that the reason he agreed to marry her was because she was friends with Danica and he needed a valid reason to keep seeing both Bryce and Rune. Cormac questions Rune about his ability to mind-speak. Cormac says he could use the ability to mind-speak to help the Ophian Ophian cause. Bryce decides to strike up a deal with Cormac, as this smart woman does. 
Bryce wants out of the marriage to him and wants him to teach her about her magic. And in return, she will team up with Therion to find Emil and whatever information Sophie may have learned. The rest of the group is a little more wary of this deal. Cormac tells Rune if he wants to help, then he should meet him at a bar later that day to hear his proposition. After Cormac leaves, the whole group debates whether or not this is all a trap. Hunt and Bryce both leave the apartment. Hunt once again conveys his concern about not making it to a world with Bryce where the Seri aren't in charge. Bryce admits that now that they are getting involved in some serious shit, that she doesn't want to wait until winter solstice anymore. Ha ha ha. This leads to a handsy makeout session in an alley where anyone could stumble upon them. Hunt then remembers that Bryce did just strike a deal with Cormac to continue their engagement, so they probably shouldn't risk getting caught in public. They agreed to have a more private encounter later. Therion is chatting with Ethan, and he decides Ethan should know what he's getting himself into. He reveals that Hunt killed Sandriel and Bryce killed Micah. Ethan is hurt that neither Sabine or Amelie told him that it was Micah's fault for the pack of devils' deaths. Ethan tells Therion he needs some time to process, so he leaves. Ethan then, love, finds Danica's sword and starts parrying around the apartment to attempt to burn <laughs> off some of this pent-off energy. I love this. He gets so into it that he jumps on Bryce's coffee table and he still swings the sword around. And Bryce, of course, chooses this moment to walk into the apartment and the coffee table then breaks underneath him. At least it oh. wasn't the couch. <laughs> uh, true that. She, she may have murdered him if it was the couch. She really but, likes the um, coffee table, though. I know she was very sad about the coffee table. But because he broke this coffee table, they found some of Danica's old college papers hidden within it in some sort of secret compartment. The college papers all regard First Light's uses and how it was made into a weapon. Hmm, is this the same papers, perchance, from earlier? Rune goes back to his apartment and loops in Declan and Flynn to what went down with Cormac. Both of the boys quickly agree to help Rune with whatever he needs. I love their friendship. They're just so ready to support him in whatever he does and mm -hmm. here for it. Rune then meets Cormac at a pool hall to hear what proposition he has for him. Cormac reveals that Sophie was in contact with their most vital spy, who goes by Agent Daybright. They used to communicate using radios with calm crystals, but now they need a new way to communicate with Agent Daybright. This agent has been able to share vital information that has helped Ophian immensely. Cormac tells Rune he should help because it is the right thing to do and it will help, help save a lot of people. Cormac gives Rune a calm crystal that will hopefully help him be able to then mind speak with Agent Daybright and then relay the information to Cormac. Rune agrees to help. Hunt shows Baxian around the barracks. We find out that Baxian is unaware of what a gaming system is, and Hunt offers to show him how to play. Fast forward to Hunt being back at Bryce's apartment. They are coming through Danica's college papers when Bryce gives Hunt the eyes. Hunt is hesitant to do anything with Bryce since Ethan is still in the apartment, and it's been a while for, for Hunt. A.K.A. all of six months. I said it had been a while. I was picturing so much longer 
then six months. I was like, since Shahar, I was like, we knew that he had been with some people, but not six months ago. Because remember, he said that he had random sex with people. Died. I was like, you're right, dude. You're you're celibate. Like you haven't. God, six months. You clearly have no idea what you're doing now. I I died. Bryce then proceeds to tease Hunt as she makes her way down to his giant... Oh, gosh. Bryce gives him a stellar blowjob. Ethan shouts across the apartment to them that he didn't quite hear everything, so they should be a little closer. <laughs> so bad for him. Ugh. Like, you know, especially with the whole wolf here, you know he heard every every little thing. Like, and the fact that he knows ugh. them. Well, and that he really has has a little bit of a crush on, like, the devastation, I'm sure. Like, yeah, can't. Yeah, I agree. (sighs) Hunt then falls into a deep slumber after, and, uh uh-oh, Apollyon, the prince of the pit, decides to pay Hunt a visit. Apollyon, Apollyon tells Hunt that he and Bryce would benefit from training up their powers. He mentions that they are both conduits. How interesting. Rune attempts to contact Agent Daybright using his mind speak and the comm crystal. Rune is ex- is successful, and Agent Daybright appears as a woman laced in fire as to hide her features. She quickly realizes Rune, or Agent Knight as she decides to call him, has little idea what he is doing. But currently, Agent Daybright has nothing to pass along. Hunt gets called to a meeting with Celestina and the whole Triari. Pollux and Baxian got into a fight, and Pollux attempted to force himself onto a woman in an alley by a bar. Celestina is not happy that they got filmed fighting. I wish she had been a little more upset with Pollux for, you know, trying He's to so rape gross. a woman, but I, I, I don't know how they... I can't. Anyway, in order for the media to have something else to focus on, the Asteri blessed... Celestina with a gift, aka her giftest mate, Ephraim, in order to help replenish the Archangel's numbers. Ew. <laughs> Celestina checks in with Hunt in regard to how he is coping with Bryce's arranged marriage. She goes on to tell him that she was also friends with Shahar and that she had tried to purchase Hunt over the years three different times, but the Asteri did not allow it. So mm. sad. Rune and Bryce are heading to an ox training facility to work on her powers, and Cormac is planning on joining this time. Bryce gets a phone call from her mom, which she ignores. Rune questions this, and Bryce shows him a postcard from her mom. Apparently, Bryce and Ember send postcards back and forth after a big fight to start communicating again, which I kind of just loved. Mm -hmm. Bryce mentions going home to see her parents on winter solstice with Hunt, and she would love if Rune would come too. Rune also decides to ask Bryce why she won't touch the star sword. Bryce says she doesn't want the star sword, but Rune is more than happy to give it to her or even share it with her. She tells Rune that she thinks he doesn't realize how special he is and thinks he should keep it. While having this conversation, Bryce points out several times that the hairs on her arms raise. Hmm, what's going on? Oh, shit. Rune is being dragged away by a reaper and into a sewer drain before Bryce can interfere. Rune ends up unconscious from the reaper and his mind drifts to, oh, hello, Agent Daybright, is that you? 
Daybright can tell that Rune is in danger and she is trying to get him to wake up. Rune thinks her voice and her scent are familiar, but is unable to place it in this moment. We then cut back to Bryce plunging into the sewer. Ew. She manages to find her brother who is surrounded by five reapers. The reapers tell Bryce that they bear a message from the Prince of the Pit. Apollyon is ready to strike and he wants to face Bryce at her full power. They also make a comment about Apollyon searching the bone quarter for a worthy opponent or his greatest weapon. Is that... Um, yeah. The Reapers then threaten to get a taste of Bryce now and they make a move towards her. She uses her light to keep them back and then suddenly Cormac joins in to help. He keeps appearing and disappearing with different Reapers taking them away. Cormac tosses the star sword at Bryce and she wields the sword and plunges it into a Reaper. The Reaper then dies? Which is not supposed to happen. That's supposed to be impossible. Cormac then teleports Rune and her into the Ox Training Center away from the Reapers. Well, isn't that a, a handy power? Wow. Mm-hmm. You did it. Part one is dense. Not as dense as yours, but it's still <laughs> dense in its own right. So, guys, how do we feel about Cormac? <laughs> Were we surprised that he was also... Agent Silverbow. What were your thoughts? I was surprised that he was Agent Silverbow, but I don't know. I think that in this part, I was still I wasn't sure about him yet, just because he yeah. wasn't very nice to anybody. He's kind of like, well, hello, you're going to marry me now, and because this says yes. so, and then, you know, so yes. I don't know. I'm not sure yet. I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he definitely plays like the asshole prince really well and so immediately like did not like him didn't like that bryce was gonna be forced to marry him yes but of course this is the type of guy that her dad would want her to marry um yes but then when you find out that he's a rebel you're like oh uh-huh. there is another side to you because we saw how sweet you were with sophie and uh-huh. also we know how you feel about Sophie. Yeah. So do you really want to wed Bryce? I don't think you do. No. So that was like my feelings were kind of like, hmm, there's more to this mm-hmm. as soon as I found that out. But I was shocked also. I was not expecting that. I was expecting yes. him to just be like some asshole prince that was being shoved 100%. on Bryce. But did you not 100%. think that he would have married her anyway? Because of the princely duties, because of those things. I feel like most of them yes. try to stick by that, regardless yeah. if it's what they want or not. It's the same as same as Rune. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. they're going to do what of... their princely duties are because they mm-hmm. know that that is what it is, regardless of who they actually love. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um, by the way, I'd like to note that your voice sounds very lovely. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I know. I sound awesome, right? Uh, yeah, guys, if you are not watching and you are just listening to this, no, it is not a male that we have had guest speak for us. It's me, Kayla. I'm sick. But you know what? This book is going to come out on the 30th and you gotta, the show must go on. So I apologize in advance that I sound like 
a dude, but here we are. We're doing it. I'm so kind of here for it. Yeah. I know. You're just gonna I have feel to... like you're flirting with us and I'm kind of here yeah. for it. <laughs> you're going to have to bear with me during my section, you know, if I have to cough or something, but yes. that's what it is. All right, guys. How do we feel about Ethan joining this essential band of misfits, I feel like is what it is now, um, after he got kicked out of his pack, which also fucks Sabine. Um, how do we feel about that? I'm glad. Like, I felt <laughs> really bad for him. And I feel like in the first uh-huh. book, regardless of the fact that, yeah, he was an asshole to Bryce after everything, yes. but he was hurting on so Yes. Many level levels from that, from Connor, from her betraying Connor, from finding out what she did after that, to his best friend and his secret feelings for her. Yeah. So I feel like we just unfortunately saw the worst side of him. But then, like, all of that happens to him. And for standing up and being a good guy mm-hmm. against Sabine, mm-hmm. she does this to him. Like, are you mm-hmm. kidding me? I normally... I don't, I can't remember if I said this in our last episode or not. I normally really like wolf shifters mm-hmm. in most of the books that I read. I feel like I usually like werewolves, wolf shifters, whatever yeah. in general. They usually have a lot more of a playful side to them. And Bean has made me, and Amelie have made me like really not like the wolf shifters in this series. So I'm hoping that Ethan just like turns that around and we can see like the good side of the wolves and yeah i loved that he was like being taken in and getting new people and the boys like accepting him i thought was so sweet yeah well and bryce really was quick to forgive especially after her grudge with rune it was refreshing to see her Mm -hmm. A little more forgetful <laughs> this this time around. True, so true. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts about this part before we head into part two? Are we no. ready to embark on the next section? All right, guys. Once again, bear with me because of my voice. I am doing the best I can. Okay. We begin part two with Therian down in the blue court. He is summoned by his queen because she is displeased that he asked her daughter on a date. Not just a date, but a date above. Uh, gasp. She also asked for an update on finding Emil. She is adamant about finding him before her sisters. There are four queens for the four great Valbaran rivers. The Istros, the Melanthos, the Neveus, and the Rubellus. The blue, the black, the white, and the red. They have long been rivals, and the queen believes if the current spoke to her of Emil, taking down those Omega ships, then it would have also spoken to them. Therian believes that she would use Emil to overthrow the other river courts, or even her sister in the ocean court. But would he help her? Maybe before, but now the above calls to him, and his loyalty is definitely starting to shift. Rune goes to the Autumn King to ask about the Star Sword. To get answers on how the hell it killed a reaper. He won't tell him that, of course. That information would be deadly in his or any of the other ruler's hands. The Autumn King explains that it's an ancient sword from another world, made from the metal of a fallen star. It exists beyond their planet's laws. He goes on to tell Rune that he should keep the sword away from Bryce, that in ancient times, starborn rivals would kill each other. 
and their children. Rune is appalled when his father suggests that he should have killed Bryce the moment he found out that she was starborn. Because he is now a second-rate prince who only has the sword because Bryce allows it. Daddy of the year. The Autumn King admits that he betrothed her to Cormac to consolidate the considerable power that she has and her children will have to the Fae rather than if she were to be with Hunt. He's got great advice. Oh, God, he's the worst. Uh-huh. Back at the Black Dock, Hunt at her side, Bryce confronts Cormac about being able to teleport. He explains the process to her. She, in turn, demands that he teach her how to do it, which he actually agrees to. Hunt asks where the ability came from. Cormac explains that it's a gift of the Starborn. It's why he actually believed that the sword was originally meant for him and why he studied it so much. He later found out that obviously wasn't the case. Hunt says the the ability would make Bryce unstoppable, which she'd be ready to take on the Prince of Hell. After getting the second warning that they just got in the sewer, that the princes are readying their army, this is definitely something that would help. Cormac and Bryce make plans to train the next day. Bryce calls Jessica to ask for two death marks, which she agrees to, to get for her. As long as she pays, of course. She goes on to infer that Bryce needs to start asking more questions about Danica and why she was always poking around the gallery. Even finding out Danica possibly has another secret she kept from her, Bryce knows that Jessica wouldn't steer her wrong. So she has Declan not only scan the city footage for Emil, but also go through years of footage from the gallery to see what Danica could possibly have been up to, which is going to take a while. What he does find immediately, though, is that the Reaper that attacked them appeared from what seems like out of thin air, not from the Black Dock. So were they sent from the Prince of the Pit or the Underking? They needed to know for sure before they acted. Good thing they had a date with the latter tomorrow. Instead of going to the gym like she told the group, Bryce grabs Hunt and heads to the meat market to look for a meal. She's not convinced he is in the bone quarter. Danica said, where the weary souls find relief, and that could definitely mean the meat market. She recruits Fury and Juniper to help. June is especially motivated to find a meal because her brother was a fighter there. Her parents tried everything to get him out. Recruited by the Viper Queen, he got addicted to her venom, died in a fight, and was dumped on their front door with Memento Mori written on him. June would do anything to help a kid get out of here. Fury declares that she will burn this place to the ground one day for her. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they find nothing. Or so Bryce claims. To burn off some frustration later, Bryce and Hunt work out together at the gym. And to return the favor for that earlier tryst, he really helps Bryce burn off her frustration. Right before she climaxes, lost in pleasure, Bryce says the only thing that comes to her mind, telling Hunt that she loves him. She then proceeds to freak out that she just ruined everything. But Hunt is only all the more motivated now. Seems he didn't really mind. After he finally brings her to her ruin, he looks her dead in the eyes and says, I love you too, Quinlan. Laying together later, they address what was said. Bryce admits that she's never said it to a male romantically before. And Hunt has never had someone say it to him romantically before either. Shahar definitely didn't. 
They go on to tell each other when they each fell. Never able to have a serious conversation, Bryce says it was when Hunt went snooping for her dildos, handling <laughs> Jelly Jubilee with just such care. If only they didn't have an audience with Ethan staying with them. Bryce wants to know how she should define them. Boyfriend isn't enough. Lovers? Kind of weird. Mates? It means something deeply to the Fae. Biological. Binding. As good as married. To Bryce, if Hunt isn't her biological mate, then no one is. Angels can have mates without it being so intense. But to Hunt, he does feel it on a biological level. Of everything I've ever been called, Quinlan, your mate will be the one I truly cherish. Swoon! <laughs> love, 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 love. <laughs> mates it is then. Screw what anyone else thinks. As night, Rune tells Daybright what happened with the Reapers and thanks her for waking him up. Oddly, the crystal is no longer needed for them to reach each other. Again, Rune tries to find out more about her, which she shuts down. She tells him the hit on the spine is a go and that they should make sure the new mech suit prototype gets destroyed, not taken. Rune knows that once he passes this on, he is an official rebel sympathizer. After their usual banter, Day leaves very abruptly. With the star sword strapped to her back, Hunt and Bryce throw their death marks into the Eastros. Baxian pops up and tells them this is a bad idea. He asks who they are going to see over there. Bryce tells him, just as she and Hunt jump in the black boat and leave. Snoopy asshole. Hunt and Bryce go to the bone quarter to talk to the Underking. They note that the place is veiled in gray mist and silence. No green meadows like the Underking had once showed to Bryce. There is no sign of Emil or Sophie. The Underking arrives and says that her and Orion, Athalar, are not welcome in this land. Bryce accuses him of sending the Reapers, which he doesn't take so well. He denies the claim. He explains that there are other ne necropolises they could have come from. He also swears that Emil and Sophie are not in the Bone Quarter. So, dead in there. The Underking explains that he was also birthed from the Void, as the Princes of Hell were. He then confesses that he feeds on the souls of the dead as they pass through the dead gate, where the rest of their soul is then devoured by the gate to become second light. Souls remain in the bone quarter for a few centuries until their descendants won't come asking. Then they are given to the dead gate. The sleeping city is a comfortable lie to make the offering a more palatable thing for the living. The only reason he tells all of this to them is because he does not intend for them to leave alive. I should like to taste your light, Bryce Quinlan. Mm. I really have his like rasp for that down, right now. Is though. great. I'm like I've I got know. the rasp. I was gonna say. I like it. I would like to taste your light, Bryce Quinlan. <laughs> oh my god, it's <laughs> so good. good. I <laughs> Am I the Underking? Am I the Underking? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> anyway. Um, he sicks his shepherd, a ten-foot-tall, sightless black dog on them. A demon. An experiment of the Prince of the Ravine from the First Wars. Its goal is to herd unwilling souls into the gate. It peels apart and becomes three other dogs. While Hunt fights two, Bryce runs off, subsequently right into the dead gate. She's surrounded by reapers and, and the hounds. Bryce dies for the star sword that fell near her, and the hounds attack tearing up her back hunt lands primal pow power seething off of him at seeing his mate hurt 
He glows blue. Bryce has seen this before. In the CCB, a statue of a male posed like an avenging god. Hammer raised to the sky, a channel for his power. Hmm, how curious. Bryce leaps in front of Hunt, taking the full brunt of his lightning strike into the sword. It climbs up into her body, and she attacks the hounds, using the star sword as her conduit, as she unleashes pure lightning and power into the beast, killing it. But the attack took almost all of the power that Hunt gave her. Hunt realizes he can use the dead gate to pull power, first light, second light, whatever you want to call it, from it. Had Apollyon orchestrated this whole thing so Hunt would realize his power? He looks over. Light it up, Bryce. He shoots the power into her. She uses that power to then take down the remaining hounds, exploding them into smithereens. They run to the river where Therian meets them, having seen Hunt's lightning. He helps them get back to the city safely, taking down sobacks that come at them along the way. They go back to the apartment where Hunt gets an alert that Ephraim has arrived. Perfect timing. With the hind and her dread wolves. Rune and Ethan aren't answering her calls. Uh-oh. That's not good. Meanwhile, while Bryce and Hunt had been in the bone quarter, Rune, Cormac, and Ethan went to tell Ophian about the intel on the spine. Which isn't the smartest idea, because there are dreadwolves prowling around literally everywhere. The informant says the dreadwolves are said to be there with the hind to find a meal. Before they leave the alley, Mordok, the hind's second-in-command and chief butcher, appears. Luckily, they are cloaked in runes and Cormac's shadows. He doesn't know the two princes' scents, but he might know Ethan's, because he visited the den once. Rune asks, mind to mind, why? And Ethan reveals that Mordok is Danica's father! Oh, I died. I cannot, you guys! <laughs> what the fuck? There were so many... I mean... I mean, Danica, I just uh, can't. Okay. And once again, never known to Bryce, Sabine, mm -hmm. Danica, and the others tried to forget it. It did not ever speak of it after it happened. But Mordok is a bloodhound, just like Danica was. Cormac teleports them both out, one at a time. He takes them to a bar on the other side of town as, as a cover and drops them there to appear casual. Rune asks Ethan to move in with him, which he says he'll think about. Being in the apartment with Bryson Hunt isn't super fun for him. Next thing well. they know, the hind and the harpy show up and ask them to play some cards. Coincidence much? <laughs> the hind introduces herself. Rune tries to play it cool by saying, He's surprised he's so high up on her priority list to me. Well, he is her half-sister's fiancé, isn't he? Rune describes the hind as the opposite of her sister, lifeless and cold. She's 20 years older than Hypaxia, close by Vanier standards. Rune brushes her off, saying he's busy. The harpy, a malik with black wings, hair, and eyes, but pale skin, doesn't take kindly to his impertinence. But Rune plays the rich frat boy prince well. They let on that they are keeping tabs on his movements. Hopefully for Hypaxia's sake, and not because Mordok told them about the alley. The harpy makes a pass at both Rune and Ethan. Gross. And also, pass. <laughs> Rune describes the hind as exceptionally beautiful. The spinning image of Luna herself. But the hammer 
doesn't really share well. Not the runes even remotely interested. Again, pass. After indicating she knows their every move, the hind calls Ethan out for lusting after the female his brother loved. That one stops rune short and really riles Ethan up. Because it's true, obviously. She lays it all out. How Ethan loved her first and silently while Connor pursued her. Then felt guilty when Connor died because of his traitorous thoughts that he now finally had a chance with Bryce. Again, Ethan doesn't take this so well. Delighted with how she affected him, the hind and the harpy leave. But not before telling Rune to send Prince Cormac her love. Okay, but seriously. She knows so much. Does anything get by her? She's so attuned to everything. Mm -hmm. I get why she's a spy master now because... Oh, yes. 100%. Rune and Ethan head back to the apartment. Bryce hugs him, frantically asking if he's okay. I just loved the shift in their relationship. She was so worried about him. He hugs her right back, seeing that she looks like shit, but is also okay. (laughs) Hunt gets called to the comedium from Celestina. She wants her triari assembled for Ephraim's arrival. That fancy hotel that he booked for him and Bryce is going to have to wait, unfortunately. Rune notices that Bryce smells different. Mm-hmm. But honestly, can these people get cock blocked more? It's constant. <laughs> Celestina nervously asks Hunt how she looks and Hunt tries to reassure her. She squeezes his hand, thanking him for coming on his day off to support her. He promises to be there for her the whole time. Pollux is beside himself excited to see the hind. The meeting between Celestina and Ephraim is awkward and stiff, which is understandable since they were friends for a very long time and now are expected to mate. Hunt cringes at that and at the hind of Pollux, literally ready to jump each other's bones. Again, gross. (laughs) They all go on to have a mini party in the couple's honor. Back at the apartment... Bryce updates Rune, Therian, and Ethan on what they found out about Second Light. This particularly upsets Ethan as he worries for where his brother is now. Has he been fed to the gate already? Bryce did piss the Underking off. A knock comes at the door. Rune wonders if Bryce and Hunt were pushed to the bone quarter to figure out what happens when their powers combine with the help of the gate. Bryce opens the door and in comes Mother Effin' Sabine. Hand going right to Bryce's throat. They'd been so distracted that they hadn't checked who was there before opening the door. She throws Bryce across the room. After she gets up, Ethan steps up to Bryce's side. She yells at Bryce to stay the hell out of wolf affairs. She isn't happy Bryce is harboring an exiled wolf. He may be exiled, but he still answers to her. Ethan doesn't back down. Though, does he have a chance against Sabine? Back at the party. This party is painful. No amount of alcohol can make it less awkward. Isaiah, Naomi, and Hunt all feel bad for Celestina. Hunt gets a text message from Bryce sucks my cock like a champ. (laughs) That says Sabine is here. His exasperation at the name is replaced by horror. Isaiah sees the message and tells him to go. Baxian notices. Isaiah says he'll cover for him. Hunt stealthily falls off the veranda, or so he thought. At the last minute, he sees Celestina looking right at him, disappointment darkening her face. This just made me so sad, you guys, because Celestina Mm -hmm. was relying on him, and he said he'd be there the whole night, and then he just ditches her, which I get. 
he will choose Bryce. He will choose his mate every single time. But I think she would have understood if he would have told her, though, right? I know. I I was just so frustrated. (laughs) Yeah. You know, she was just looking for a friend in that moment. And so to lose that, so sad. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the worst. Back in the apartment, Ethan taunts Sabine for sleeping with Mordok. Smart, Ethan. But actually it was. The comment throws her off her guard, makes her hesitate. In the process, Bryce realizes what he's saying. That Mordok is Danica's father. Cue number 1000 of secrets Danica kept from her. Bryce contains her reaction, reminding herself that she outranks Sabine in power and position now. She asks Sabine if Danica was a rebel. Ethan and her push from both sides with questions, backing Sabine down, disarming her. She pushes on, stating that Sabine is just worried that Bryce will use her new title to replace Sabine with Ethan. He comes from strong alpha bloodlines and is beloved of many of the wolves. Regardless of his current exile, there's no love for her new heir, Amelie, either. Hunt appears, gun pointed at the back of Sabine's head, and tells her to get the fuck out. Ethan continues to stand his, his ground against her. Then... Faxian appears behind Hunt, gun drawn at Sabine also. That gets her attention. Fear shining in her eyes as he says, Hello, Sabine. She quickly leaves. Hmm. There's definitely more to that story. I just need you to say, Hello, Sabine. One more time. (laughs) Sabine. I really want to do it in his accent. Hello, Sabine. Or whatever. (laughs) That they do in the audiobook. Yeah. So good. I just... I know. I can't wait to learn more about him, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Bryce blows up a bit at the revelation that Mordok is Danica's father, and no one told her. Ethan says Danica would have been his alpha one day. It wasn't his place to tell when she was alive. Ethan turns to Rune, avoiding Bryce's eyes, weird, and accepts his offer to become his roommate. They then get his stuff and leave the apartment. Paxian explains he knew about Mordok and Danica. That when Mordok got back from visiting the den to meet Danica when she was 17, he was in such a rage that he went out and ate a couple while the female was still alive and made the male watch. Like, what the actual fuck? Crazy. This guy is the worst. Like, I need more to that story. How did this happen, Sabine? Yeah. Was it consensual? That w- that's what I would like to know. Mm, Part of me is like, Sabine is weird enough that maybe it's but sadistic then also, enough that it could have been. But then also, him being who he is. I, I just, just can't imagine. I can't imagine the Prime being like, yeah, this is who I want you to. Here you go. To- this, is, this is a great yeah. match. <laughs> no. Hmm. Not no, even a little bit. Sweet. No. Anyway, Bryce asks why Baxian is following them. He makes a smart-ass remark, as he usually does, and says Hunt looked like he needed some help. She says he's going to fit right in. Hunt doesn't love that. Whew, what a day. That was all one day, guys. (laughs) After getting Ethan situated at the house with Flynn and Deck, Rune falls asleep, coming to the blissful quiet of the bridge. Day standing on the other side. He makes himself an armchair. Day conjures a red velvet fainting couch. She looks so much like Lahaba, it makes Rune's chest hurt. Day notices, and he explained what happened to her. 
that he should have been there in her place would have gladly died to save a tiny spire sprite. He goes on to tell Day that they were almost caught during the intel drop by Mordog, the Hyde, and the Harpy, and that he's in Lunathian. He really just, like, shares way too much with her. Yes. He asks why she called him, and she said she didn't. Her mind just reached for his. They both had difficult days. They bond over stories of their fathers beating and burning them, which is a tragic way to connect. They both come from influential households. She admits he is the first person she has spoken to as herself in so long that she's almost forgotten who she truly is. To destroy monsters, we become monsters. Mm. By the next day, Ethan's, Ethan is all settled in at Rune's house. It reminds him of Connor and Thorne's place. He ruminates over what the hind said, how she had managed to read him so easily. He had met Bryce when he went to see Connor at school. He ran in, into her in the hallway. After 10 minutes, he decided he would go to CCU, play sunball there, find this girl and marry her. He had such a tug towards her, he thought that maybe she was his mate. All until Connor popped his head out, and he realized this is the girl his brother had been gushing about for months. So he threw himself into being her friend, her best friend, while suffering on the sideline as Connor didn't make a move. He told Connor to shit or get off the pot the night he asked Bryce out. If he didn't, then Ethan would. Then his brother died, and Ethan found out what Bryce had been doing the night Connor died, and he just imploded. Everything he was, gone. She had Athelar now, and that was okay. He just didn't know what to do with himself when he spoke to her. The girl he thought would be his wife, the mother to his children. How often he had had those daydreams. Thank God he wasn't living in that apartment anymore. He just needed to find Connor and see if he was okay. So he asked Therian to help. He tells him they are going to kill two birds with one stone. They would ask the mystics about Connor and Emil and Sophie. Bryce is at Madame Kira's class with Juniper when she finds out that Juniper got passed up for principal because she told those rich assholes off for closing the bomb shelters before more people could get there during the attack this spring. Juniper shrugs it off and says she will stick it out until they have no choice but to promote her. Bryce, in her usual impulsive fashion, waits until June is gone and pulls out her phone to make a call to the CCB's director. From Her Royal Highness, Princess Bryce Dannon. She really just can't. She just loves her people so much. She, she wants loves to her help people them. so much. But she really inserts herself. Yeah. <clears throat> Celestina calls Hunt to her office. Hunt worries that someone told Celestina what he and Bryce have been up to recently. But really, it's about him leaving the party last night. Celestina is very disappointed that he didn't keep his word about having her back. Ephraim saw it as a slight that one of her triari chose to help a princess of the Fae over his governor. As punishment, she orders Hunt to stay in the barracks for two weeks. He tries to plead with her, but she stays distant and shuts him down. He tries to approach her as a friend and see how it went with Ephraim. But she continues to remain distant, telling him it's a private matter. Point taken. He leaves Celestina's office just to run into Lydia Servos. Lovely. The hind questions him on being friends with Rune, Therian, Ethan, and Bryce. Such an odd group of people. Vaxine appears and the hind stops short. Man, the hellhound really has that effect on people, doesn't he? Before she leaves, she reminds them that they may not answer to her 
but they still answer to the Asteri. Bryce, Ethan, and Therian go to see the mystics. Their master is the astronomer, some form of humanoid veneer. Per the description, I basically picture like Gandalf. <laughs> In my mind. I can see that. Yeah. It looks like Gandalf. He wears four rings, each with a tiny fire sprite trapped inside. Bryce wants to rip his face off immediately for that. There is mm-hmm. a great orb in the middle of the room with three bathtubs beneath it. Each tub has a sleeping mystic in it. One male, one female, and one bull. Perfect balance. Their families were compensated for them as they were usually given to them as small children. After pressing some dials, out comes a holographic replica of their solar system with seven planets orbiting around the sun. An orrery, like the one in the Autumn King's office. It is used to peer into the cosmos. If the mystics drift too far, they can be lost forever. After Ethan asks if if Connor is still in the bone quarter or has been fed to the bone gate, the astronomer says he has to use a riskier method and pulls out blood salt and pours it into the mystic's tubs. The floors open up and reveal seven levels of darkness below the mystics to represent the seven levels of hell. From the highest stars to the pit itself, Bryce is not happy that they are there. But for Connor and the Pack of Devils, what wouldn't she do to help? The astronomer explains that in the Eternal City, there are believed to be thousands of mystics in the palace catacombs mapping out the cosmos. The male mystic makes it to hell, which startles Ethan. Why would Connor be in hell? Was it because of Bryce? The mystic is deep now. Something or someone answers. When asked about Connor, they state that no wolf has roamed their lands for eons. The being becomes interested in the mystic asks what it is, and the mystic in turn answers and asks for the being's name, Anatos, the prince of the ravine. He asks to see Bryce, Ethan, and Therian, and for them to see him. So he appears in the orb of the orrery. He looks right at Bryce. I can smell your starlight on you. You're the one my brothers speak about. Casual, that just like princes of hell, talking about so Bryce. Baby. He goes on to say he isn't happy she slew his shepherd. Bryce, of course, mocks him because that's smart. He says if they meet on a battlefield, he will seek justice for his shepherd. And Bryce responds, it's a date. She's got a death wish, you guys. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Thanatos uh-huh. does tell them that Connor and the others are still in the bone quarter. And an order was given that they will be left alone for the normal amount of time. He does not know of Emile or Sophie, though. Growing bored, he says it's time to feast. The male mystic thrashes in his tub. They tell the astronomer to get him out, but he can't without the proper extraction or his mind will shatter. Thanatos continues to talk to the mystic. I shall taste your soul like fine wine. I won't follow the restraints that my brothers do. Once the door to our worlds is open, I shall taste you all. Starting with you, Starborn. Okay. This prince is so scary. I very much so prefer... Adis, or even Apollyon. Yes. Apollyon was a lot nicer, even though he's the prince of the pit. This one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mm-mm. this one's scary. Not the one. Ethan says, screw this, and jumps into each of the tubs, ripping out the breathing tube and feeding tubes of each mystic. The woman mystic starts screaming, back, send me back. They cannot exist in this world anymore, and they don't want to. Bryce pulls Ethan to the door and away from the moaning mystics. Bryce is fuming now and turns that rage on Therian for taking them there. Across the street in an alley, Doc watches them. 
He's like literally everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he knows that Ethan was in the alley that day. After ditching Mordok, Bryce tells Ethan she's going off to send a postcard to her mom. They can't always talk, but they can write each other. Hunt pout with Isaiah back at the Comidium. Isaiah gives him shit because it's only two weeks. But he tells Isaiah that Bryce and him decided not to wait until the winter solstice. Wink, wink. Isaiah literally laughs at Hunt and his blue balls. (laughs) While sitting and talking to his friend, Hunt struggles with not being honest with Isaiah. Him and his friend have been through so much together. And I just love that he's referring to him as his friend because Mm -hmm. he's just come so far. Look at our little Umbra Mortis. (laughs) He doesn't feel he deserves the loyalty Isaiah has always given him. Cue silence. Cue Baxian entering the cafeteria. Really, the effect he has on people every Mm -hmm. time. Baxian Uh sits with them and assures Hunt that he didn't tell Lydia why they left last night. Isaiah points out that he wasn't so antagonistic with her under Sandriel's rule, which he answers by saying, You've been in Lunathian for a while, Tiberian. Things changed after you left. Like what? Things. Hmm. How mysterious, Baxian. What kind of things? What things? Tell me more. I want to know. The hellhound follows Hunt back to their barracks. He sees Hunt's old room and how vacant it is. What his life was like before Bryce, he tells Baxian. I'm sorry you have to be away from her for so long, he replies. Like he actually understood. As if there was sadness and loneliness there under the surface. (laughs) Hunt decides to reach out a hand and invites Baxian to play video games with him. Which Baxian has never done because apparently Sandriel liked to live in in the medieval times. After much cursing and light banter, Hunt asks Baxian what his motive is. He says he doesn't want to make an enemy of Hunt and that life is too short to hold grudges. Sadness. Maybe it's time Hunt gives him the benefit of the doubt. After telling Bryce about his punishment and because of the extended two-week cock block, Bryce (laughs) and Hunt get a little creative and have a little fun over the phone. A week later, Bryce trains with Cormac and Rune in the Ox private training ring. They'd been at it for the last week with little to no improvement. Lots of starlight. No teleporting. No shadows. Bryce thinks her magic is broken. She can feel this giant cloud of power in the eight-pointed star, but she just can't access it. To save her from her misery, Declan calls and tells her that he finalized the gallery footage of Danica. And Jessica was right. He found something. Two months before her death, when Bryce and Lahaba were distracted upstairs, Danica dashed for a book and started taking pictures, page after page after page. The book was Wolves Through the Time, Lineage of the Shifters. No other libraries on Midgard have this book. Shocker that it's with Jessica. Bryce calls Jessica and asks about the book. She's happy Bryce looked into the footage. She says the book is about wolf genealogy and that she likes knowing the history of her enemies. When Bryce says Danica wasn't her enemy, was Sabine? Jessica laughs and says, you're so very young. Hmm. So someone other than the current wolf hierarchy obviously was an enemy of Jessica's at one point. I mean, she's 400 years old, let's face it. Is she? She's got time. Is she only 400 years old? Almost is she? I don't know now, is she? <laughs> panic. We shall find out. Oh. Even though she says she doesn't answer to Bryce, 20 minutes later, the book is dropped off at her apartment because... Jessica loves Bryce. She does. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. The book goes back 15,000 years, all the way to the rift. The page that Danica tapped in the footage 
like she'd found what she was looking for, had the two first Vendir, Niklaus Vendir and Farvis Havelin, though nothing of them or their children is written anywhere in history, not until Katra Fendir, starting 5,000 years ago. So there's a 10,000-year gap in the Fendir history. Weird. So, obviously, Bryce needs to talk to the Prime. Obviously. <laughs> Declan distracts the guards, and Rune calls Sabine to a meeting while Bryce sneaks into the den. Smart. The Prime is sitting in the shade playing with some pups. Bryce Quinlan. He taps his chest. A wolf. I tried to oh. do it like UV. What? <laughs> but also every time. A wolf. <laughs> Just so good. <laughs> she asks about their history and the first Fendiers. He said they are lost to history and only spoken of by word of mouth from Prime to a parent. He says wolves did unspeakable things in the first war. Yield nature. Lost sight of it forever. Became what they are now. They are free wolves, but really they have a collar of the hysteria around their necks. He believes Danica would have led them back to what they were before they came here and became the hysteria's creatures inside and out. A female wolf comes out angry as hell. And before she can run Bryce off, she tells the prime what Sabine did to Ethan. His eyes are clear. Sharp and angry yes prime let's go go <laughs> f up sabine you're not Seriously. sleepy no I mean, no more be a naps sleepy. must do something <laughs> no naps I mean, yeah, probably. get to it bud <laughs> cormac is bloody and waiting back at bryce's apartment because you know that's what men like to do it's get bloody couch. and go to her apartment now <laughs> it's that white the white couch is a magnet for that blood guys just asking magnet, for it yeah Almost snared by Mordok again, during an intel drop, he found out the hit on the spine was successful. Ophian now has the mech suit prototype and a lot of ammo. And they're shipping it to an island right outside of Lunathian. They're going to start shitting Lunathian with that psycho, Pippa Spetsos, at the head. Time to go to Idra to stop that shit from happening. June calls Bryce and bites her head off for calling the CCB director. She's now principal. Amazing, right? Mm -hmm. Nope. Mm. She tells Bryce that everyone knows she only got it because Princess Bryce Dannon made a call. Bryce still doesn't see the problem, but she took away Juniper's lifetime of work and accomplishment. Now, she didn't get it on her own merit. Bryce just couldn't leave well enough alone. Hang up. But did Bryce learn her lesson? Bryce goes to Cel Celestina's office again as Princess Bryce Dannon. <laughs> Not as Bryce Quinlan, to beg her to let Hunt go visit her parents for one night. When really, they're going to the Coronal Islands to ask Ophian Command not to let Spetsos use those suits. Bryce tells Celestina how important it is for Hunt to make a good impression on her mom, which Celestina sympathizes with. Bryce then asks Celestina how she is doing with Ephraim, and tells her that if she ever needs some girl talk, governor, archangel or not, she's there for her. Celestina replies warmly that she would love that. She tells Bryce to take Hunt home and that he can remain there, ending his punishment. Bryce feels guilty for lying to such a warm, kind female, as she should. Yes. On her way home, Bryce calls Fury. She responds by saying, you fucked up, Bryce. She is devastated. Give her a few weeks and then try to talk it out. 
Because that's what every make, best friend wants to hear, yeah. right? <laughs> make a grand gesture, she says. Big. Yeah. Devastated Bryce. <laughs> Which, yeah. to Bryce, without her friend, is quite literally eternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Prime calls Ethan and demands he tell him why Sabine exiled him. A glimmer of the alpha that made the Valbaran wolves a force to be reckoned with shining through. Ethan tells him. The Prime says he would have Ethan be alpha of his own pack. He's sensed it in him for a long time, and Ethan has been suppressing it so others can lead. He would deal with his daughter. Ethan tells him he is honored, but he needs to think about it. Could he serve under Sabine? Under Amelie after her? But would it be dishonoring his brother by leaving the wolves to Sabine's mercy? While pondering that, he goes back to the mystics. Because that's a good idea. The astronomer oh. isn't home, the female mystic rasps. Oh, good. I can get that one. The astronomer isn't home. <laughs> Ethan smells her then. She's a wolf. Where is her pack? They allowed this to happen to her? She says her parents had no pack and that she was in the tank by the age of four. Her temper starts to show through. Some dominance. Not just a wolf, but an alpha. <laughs> he can't leave her here. But what can he do? In his rage, he did the only thing he felt he could do and stole the box with all four of the fire sprite rings in it. Because <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I'm but not also take the do wolf. something. I'm take the rings. <laughs> so Go bad. off, Ethan. Right? <laughs> <clears throat> Rune meets Day on the bridge. She immediately tries to keep it formal, where he immediately starts flirting and breaks through her shell. Talk of bedroom habits ensue. Is he dominant? Yes, but no alpha hole. It's all ladies' choice for him. Attaboy, Rune. That's right. Never pressure. She asks what kind of veneer he is. Look who's prying now. He says he believes her to be powerful like the wind, able to cool or freeze, shape the world itself, though no one can see you. Lonely. She agrees that it is and tells him, you see me. It's more than I can say for anyone else. They stare at each other. <clears throat> Back to business. <laughs> he tells her about the mech suit and their plans to stop Pippa and her Lightfall squadron. Hunt has worked on mech suits before, taking them apart and putting them back together. So he will be able to give them insight on the new prototype. He doesn't tell her that, though. Thank God he's, like, keeping some information in for once. He tells her that Pippa has been littering the countryside with bodies trying to find someone important. Again, vague. Because spies. But he does tell her that they are going to Idra. She tells him to run. Do not fight if they catch you. She then hisses, bending at the waist sucks in air, and is gone. Rune launches to her side of the bridge, slamming into a wall. All sensation, no image. Bone grinding. Her giving over to the male with her. Very rough sex. Consensual, but not meaningful. The pain had awoken her. Rune waited on the other side of the wall. When she returned, her fire had banked. Rune questions her, but she's icy and distant in her responses. After a moment, kneeling face to face, she admits, I hate him. No one knows, but I do. He disgusts me. Then why? It's complicated. Rune says she scared him. She tells him not to get too attached. They volley back and forth until her iciness melts into their usual playful banter. 
He asks her to stay and rest there with him. So she does. I know. Cormac teleports Bryce, Hunt, Ruin, and Therian to Idra, making several stops. He then leaves to ask Command not to put Pippa Spetsos in charge, which didn't go well. Pippa already has her claws in them. She is now in charge of the Valbaran front. There's no news on her search for Emil and Sophie, though. Pippa shows up just in time to watch Hunt examine the new mech suit prototype. She taunts Cormac about trying to turn Command against her, or trying to use her to get information on Emil. She denies being the one who murdered all those people looking for him, stating, You're too coiled up in your own snake's nest to see the truth, or to see who among you has a forked tongue. But then goes on to say she isn't looking for Emil anymore. They have better weapons now, aka the suits. Hunt examines the suit. It was made by the Asteri for Vanir to pilot. Smaller than the other models, the metal has the same makeup as Gorsian stones. The ore will absorb magic, not suppress it. It can draw first light from the ground and turn it into weapons. Brimstone missiles made right on the spot. Never running out of ammo. Never running out of battery life. A Vanir can wear it like armor. So scary. Mm-hmm. Yes. Pippa's eyes light up with bloodlust because she's a psychopath. Crazy. Yes. The rebels would at last have a source of magic to fight back with, even the playing field. This is a death machine, Hunt says, and no one should fucking use it. Track down the scientists who made it and kill them and their plans. It would be disastrous for both sides to have this tech. Pippa's crazy ass says Vanir deserve what is coming to them. Her Lightfall squad heard seven Vanir out on the rail and killed them in cold blood right in front of them. Gorsian bullets, then lead, then cutting their heads off to make it permanent. Cormac demands why, and she says, they're Vanir. Her and her squad walk on off. The group discusses that Pippa obviously knows where Emil is. Bryce looks a little too innocent, though. And Hunt catches it, but he keeps quiet. Hunt and Rune declared they won't support this. They will lead the 33rd and Ox against Ophian if they attack Lunathian and innocent people. Bryce says they can't have the Asteri or Ophian getting this suit. She looks over. Light it up, Hunt. So Hunt does. Blasting the suit apart and all the trucks around them. The one with the brimstone missile on it gets sent into the water by Therian, where Hunt strikes it with lightning, exploding the missile underwater. In the ensuing chaos, Cormac is shot by a Gorsian bullet by Pippa in the arm. So he's alive for questioning, of course. No teleporting now. And no flying. Hunt would be an easy target to pick off with all the guns. Close your eyes, boys, Bryce states. Bryce starts glowing like a star. They all run and jump into a skiff. Bryce rips into Cormac for associating with psychos like that who murder innocent people that were literally helping them. She says she is done helping the rebels, done helping Therian and his queen too, done with all of it. She tells Rune he would be smart to stay away from Agent Daybright also. Hunt scans the horizon for enemies and sees a black dog running there? Is that Baxian? He runs along the coast, barking madly. Uh oh. If he's there, the hind must be nearby. But how did she find out? Hmm. How indeed. I swear, Baxian and Mordok are 
just everywhere. Like how are they always? there all the time? Because they're in all the shenanigans, so they just happen to keep running into them. Oh my gosh. Mm. Yep. Because they're right on their tail. They're never far ahead of them in this whole entire thing. They are never ahead of them. Yeah. They know. Bryce tries to teleport them out, which obviously fails. The hind shows up on the horizon. Guns cracking, so flying them out is impossible. Pollux and the harpy are with her. Joy. Therian yells for them to get in the water. And they do just in time as a torpedo takes the boat out. On top of everything else, an Omega boat appears too. Hunt can't zap them with his lightning while they're all in the water. It's too bright for Rune's shadows. Therian it's ready to go down with the ship instead of bailing on them. Hitch only leaves Bryce. She will blind them when they get close enough and take the boat. Or at least that's the plan. The hind breaks off on her own skimmer and heads toward them, leaving the others behind. Hunt's eyes start to glow with his lightning. Now, the hind is there in front of them. She taunts each person in turn, especially the two fey crown princes. What a scandal. Rune is ready to rip her throat out. Hunt's lightning is now to his shoulders. The others look at him in alarm. The hind pulls out a white stone. The same one she showed Sophie Renas before she died. Died. They all focus on that word. Cormac's ready to kill her, even with how injured he is. She drops the stone into the water. Therian notices something big coming for them. But what's that? It's not the Omega boat. Hunt is walking a fine line between completely losing his shit. He's willing to fry them all if it's going to save Bryce. Next thing they know, they're being pushed up on the hull of an Imperial boat. Hunt's eyes were now pure lightning. No white. No irises. Lightning vines wrap around him. Bryce tries to get him to calm down. The hind takes the hint and gets the fuck away from him. That's great. Smart lady. (laughs) A hatch opens up and a woman tells them all to get in now. Hunt helps her down. His lightning licking up her elbow, but not hurting her. The boat begins to dive quickly. The group drops into an airlock and the female says, You called for us? Their oracle knew that they were needed in this area. And the light cued them to where to go. Bryce believes it was from her light. Hunt continues to sizzle. Rune says mind to mind with Bryce. The last time he did this was when he killed Sandriel. Bryce was in danger that day too. Rune tells his sister that Hunt is going ballistic in a way only a mate does when the other mate is threatened. That they are true mates in body and soul. The way Faye are mates. That's why her scent is different. Their scents have merged. He tells Bryce to get him to calm the fuck down. Athelar was dangerous before, but as a mated male, he is utterly lethal. Uh-oh. Bryce finds it kind of hot he went all primal to save her. Alpha holes can have their uses. <laughs> Back to the other combo. Commander Sendis introduces herself. She's a mare and commander of the Depth Charger, which is the city ship that they are currently on. It's shaped like a squid and as large as the Comidium, made of glass and matte metal for stealth. It is one of six city ships of the Ocean Queen's court beneath. Back in Lunathian, Ethan explains what happened with the mystics stealing the box to Mark, Declan's lawyer boyfriend, and to Deccan Flynn. He tells Ethan he's basically screwed and there's nothing he can do to save the mystic or the theft of the box. They don't yet know that it's the sprites that are in there. 
when they even suggest sending it back, the box rattles. They obviously don't love that idea. They open the box and all see what's inside. Now they understand why Ethan took them. Flynn and Declan decide they obviously need to free them. Grab a hammer. Flynn cracks open each ring one by one. When they get to the fourth, it ruptures. Flame shooting out. Um, there's now a human-sized naked female on their table? So, that one's not a sprite. Her eyes blaze crimson, red and gold scales flowing beneath her skin. She's a freaking dragon. Oh, I love it so much. Okay. Back on the boat. They are still running from the Omega boat, but no one in this literal city under the water seems to be worried. Going about their day as citizens of any city would. Shopping, drinking coffee, going to work. The ship pulls up to a wall and literally disappears, camouflaging against the rock. The glass is one way so no one can see the light inside the ship. The Ocean Queen's power fuels the ship, not first light, so radar can't find them. You guys, the ship is so mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. I want to live there. I don't want to live there, but it's so cool. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know that I'd want to live there, but I would love to see it. I just feel like the concept visually would be just impeccable. Mm-hmm. So cool. I mean, I might get claustrophobic, but it yes. seems big, so maybe not. No, it seems ginormous. It's probably like, cr- like, I'm picturing like a giant cruise boat, super open. You can't even really tell you're in water. Yeah. The Omega boat floats on by and doesn't even notice them. Cormac asks if Ophian knows about this, and Senda says they are not affiliated with Ophian. Thank the gods. Cormac is taken by a medwitch. They pass by old carvings on the outside of the rock. An ancient highway, the Senda says, is from long ago, but she's really secretive about it. Oh yeah, um, Hunt is still glowing? So Bryce asks Sendez if she can take him into the beautiful lush biodome she showed them a few minutes ago. She agrees and closes it off to the public. <laughs> oh, here we go. Gotta get, get ready, ready. Hunt only saw his power in Bryce and the threats to her. Everything else is a blur. He couldn't come off the ledge. He follows as Bryce walks into a lush forest. He needs to get his magic out. Needs to know she's fine. Once they get to a clearing, Bryce undresses in front of him. Your turn, she says to him. So he did. All he wanted was to please his mate. Yes, Hunt, I'm your mate, and you are mine. His mind clears a fraction, lust taking over the primal rage. But he's afraid to hurt her. You won't, she says. I trust you. As they kiss, his lightning flows over her, on her skin, in her hair, and she basks in it. They become two souls twining together at the bottom of the sea. Her star flares, merging with his lightning. As they came together, the lightning cleared from his eyes. This was Hunt again. There was so much buildup that let's just say they didn't waste any time with foreplay. Her light flowed into him and he shone with it, just as she shone with his lightning. They want to finish together, and as they did, she fell through time and space. Literally. Next thing they know, they're in the airlock, butt-ass naked. She teleported (laughs) them. Damn, Bryce! But also, it's about damn time. It's about damn time. Well, and I just love that Bryce had no shame about any of that. She was just like, well, here we are naked. Yep. 
She was like, damn, you did a good job, bud. <laughs> I loved it. Ready? <laughs> okay. Back to the frat house. The guys find out the fire sprites are Rethi, Milana, and Sasa. Triplets descendant of Persina Falith, Lady of Cinders. The dragon's name is Ariadne, and she's a little bit spicy, to say the least, which Flynn especially likes. They tell him that they were bespelled by the astronomer and that he is actually an ancient sorcerer. He uses them to light the way into hell. SPQM is tattooed on each of their wrists. So, stolen slaves. Ethan is fucked. Someone could technically buy them and then free them, but the dragon is way too expensive. Ethan asks about the wolf mystic, and they tell him that she is defiant, and the astronomer tortures her by sending her to hell for demons to play with, hoping to break her, which won't happen. The guys tell the sprites and Ariadne to make themselves at home. Ariadne explains that she can't run, as the slave tattoo won't let her shift unless her master allows it. Back on the ship! Cormac was mostly healed from the med witches. It's so nice to be Vanier. Mm -hmm. They heal so freaking quick. Not even a day later, right? Right? Yeah, no, later. Literal hours. Mm -hmm. Hunt and Bryce tell him that she teleported and how. No shame in her game. Cormac guesses that their magic's merged and that Bryce needs Hunt's power to teleport. Well, Paulian had told Hunt that he and Bryce hadn't yet discovered what their powers could do together. Mm Mm-hmm. Commander Sendis walks in and grimly tells Cormac that she heard him talking about Sophie Renast in his delirium, that they had been summoned to save her weeks ago, but they were too late. Sophie had drowned by the time they picked her up. Mm. Cormac goes to the morgue to be with Sophie, utterly devastated. He explains how they met, how he fell for her, how he never deserved her because she was good and brave and kind. They see that a series of numbers were carved into Sophie's bicep. No one was familiar with the numbers, though. But Sophie doesn't do anything without a purpose. They know they are on their own now, against the Asteri and against Ophian. But they will make them pay. Later, Uh Day calls out, Night? Into his mind. He relaxes and goes to the bridge. She heard what happened in Idra. Rin questions her about Pippa killing people in cold blood. She says Pippa is a fanatic. Rune goes on to tell Day that Agent Cypress, aka Sophie, is dead. That this is confirmed startles Day, and she is obviously upset about it. She admired Sophie's courage. He asks why she works with Ophian when they are so horrible. She says no other force has stepped up to this dairy, that they must pay the cost so their children won't have to. Rune then tells his biggest secret when he's never told another soul, that the oracle told him he would be the last of his bloodline, either infertile or destined to die. But with his fucked up father, he probably wouldn't be a good dad anyway. She says she can tell he loves those around him, that he is kind and caring, all things that make for a good father. Rune is unsettled by the day he had, so Day offers to tell him a story. She sits and runs her hand through his hair, He relaxes, listening to the story about a witch who runs away from a prince pursuing her. Rune falls asleep before the ending. When he wakes, he gets a small glimpse of Day's hair. She awakes, startled, and asks what he was doing. He said he just wants to know what the ending of the story is. 
she responds that the witch turns into a monster and kills the prince. Then Day walks off into the darkness. Uh, I think he'd be a good dad, you guys. I think he's such a good dad. I mean, look how he does with Bryce, you know? Like, he just. Yes. How he could think that he'd be a terrible father. I don't even understand. I keep seeing fan art of Mm -hmm. him because, I mean, he's 50 years older than her. So, like, he was him now when she was little. Like, doing her nails with her, dressing like a ballerina with her. And, yes. I picture all Being of like that. He would be phenomenal. Ugh. The best dad. Guys, I don't want him to die. I don't want him to die. I know. I be so sad. I, I'm going to be write so it? sad right. if that happens. Will you write it? <clears throat> I might write it. I just... <laughs> I can just see him, if he's infertile, being such a good uncle to mm-hmm. Bryce and Hunt's future... <laughs> I need that in my life, personally. Agreed. So, one of the things that we learned early on in this part is Bryson Hunt went to the bone quarter and chit-chatted away with the underking. Um, Were we surprised, or how did y'all feel learning about what happens to the souls there and that they're used as second light? I... uh, I have a lot of feelings, but I want to hear your guys' first. I was shocked. This was Uh something that totally shocked me because they have such a beautiful picture of what their afterlife is and that they go Mm -hmm. across on the boat and they make it Mm -hmm. over there and their souls are deemed worthy when really they're deemed worthy to be eaten. Like they have enough magic to be eaten. And that's the only reason that souls get dumped into the water is because they don't have enough for them Mm -hmm. to feed off of. They had this whole picture of what he had shown Bryce of the meadows and the green and like mm-hmm. all this stuff that yeah. is all false. Okay, yeah. I need so some, sad. I need help because you know I I don't don't understand things sometimes. Okay, so the Under King is not part of hell. <clears throat> no. Or is he? He's not. No. Okay. Because that's the part that I didn't understand was okay hell also needs second light or it's just him that needs second light i just didn't understand like what all hell is not what we see hell as yeah it's not like souls going to heaven and hell Mm -hmm. um it's that is essentially think of it as its own realm Mm -hmm. like its own world because there's prince of the pit and then there's the prince of the chasm i believe and then there's seven of them them. and Mm -hmm. for some reason i just thought that Thanatos, who's the under king. No. Right. No. See? Confused. No. Thanatos is the prince of the ravine, which is, I think, level four. Under king is completely different. He's just the head of um, the bone quarter. So he's just a head just the same way as the autumn king is or Mm, any of the other ones. Um, He is not associated with hell, at least that we... Okay. are told and he is like the leader essentially i think of house of flame and shadow mm-hmm. um, or at least he is he belongs to that house yes um and that's who jessica works for or answers to apparently okay okay yeah. got it I'm he doesn't know there. her by that name 
Don't worry, it's in our theories. Oh, I know. I know we're going to get there. Um, How do y'all feel about Mordok being Danica's dad? Just Mind blown. I know we briefly discussed it while you were reviewing, but just... He's horrible. I just... Well, no wonder why she didn't want to... Anything to do with him. Oh, 100%. I do not blame her at all. But, Ugh. like, how did Danica become Danica with two shit fucking parents? But, I like, okay, that happens. You can still be a good person with horrible yes. parents. But I'm yeah. like, oh my gosh. I think it yes. helps that because Danica's a wolf, they're in a pack, right? So it's not just yeah. her yeah. and her mom, right? Yeah, totally. So I think that probably helped a yeah. lot of it. Like, they're, and I mean, yeah. The prime seems to be a good person, so Agreed. maybe we just took after him. <laughs> yeah. Skipped I'm actually surprised that Mordok didn't stay in, like, with Sabine, because I feel like in a pack they have that loyalty that they just kind of, like, stay. I don't know. I just felt like... He wasn't a part of her pack. I know, yeah. but I feel like this was that would have been this part was a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't and know. He... I think he's such a horrible person. He would happily <laughs> peace out. Peace out. Mm-hmm. I yeah. get the impression that this was. I don't know. I don't know that if, if it was arranged, but I feel like if it yeah. was arranged, it would have been arranged just by Sabine and him, not by the Prime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or. It was a one-off, like he was in Lunathian and this happened and yeah. she's a strong female and he's a strong male and Sabine's sadistic enough that she was like, fuck it. Or it was not True. consensual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really I could the case. be like the Autumn King where she was seeking for more power. I mean, knowing her... <laughs> Well, track. there are no males that, or at least like they don't, it doesn't seem like there are any no. males that were on a level that she wanted mm-hmm. no, to agree. have an heir with. So, yeah. and his bloodhound abilities, I mean, though, that's significant. For sure. Do you think he kept that's it secret just... too, though? Or do you think everybody mm-hmm. knows? I think it's it well known. Like, yeah, it seems like people are more aware of that one. At least within um, the wolves. True. Yeah. I agree. I don't know that it's like advertised, but it seems like the wolves yeah. are aware at least. Um, guys, Bryson Hunt finally had actual sex. <laughs> what? It only took book two part to finally get to this moment. Like the end of part two. Correct. Mm-hmm. Not even... Damn, we were like 300, 400 pages into it. It was good. Yes. It was good. (sighs) I'm sorry, I glossed over it. I loved the buildup. I love personally that they are mates. I'm I'm always into a a mate situation. It just true though, because she's confirmed it. I don't know. Yeah, Sarah J. Moss has confirmed it. Yeah. She verbally okay, has well, confirmed then that's it. Good. Oh, that's good then. Yeah. Okay. And didn't she make a comment like she wouldn't break that one up or something? She's a happily ever after writer, um, even mm-hmm. though a lot of people die. But like as far as couples go, <laughs> yes. um, she... Once they find their mate, they're happily ever after kind of thing. Yeah. But oh, okay. I don't know. Guys, out of all the couples 
in this world, them I feel the most uneasy about of not being certain about their future. Not that they're like in a breakup or anything, obviously not their mates, yeah. mm-hmm. but I'm so worried if something's going to happen to them. Like they're going to be star-crossed yeah. and never be together kind of thing? No, like someone's going to die. Yeah. I, like, I just cause... have an uneasiness about them yeah. that I have not had with any of the other mated couples. I don't like it. I know. Makes me we so just sad. not kill any of these beautiful main characters that I love. <clears throat> okay, but if they go back into the other series and start killing people off that are important, I'm going to... Mm. What are you going to do? You know. Tell Michaela. Yeah. You know what I'm going to do? <laughs> oh you goodness. know. <laughs> We know. No, no, no. All right. So that wraps up part two. We are now going to go into part three, The Pit. Veronica, take it away. Let's go. (laughs) All right. So after Sendez and the Ocean Queen ships saved everyone, they go back to Lunathian, trying to piece together everything that just happened. The numbers slash letters on Sophie's arm, which Jacqueline can't find anything on, and the fact that the Hind and her Drevels weren't already at their apartment waiting to arrest them. But you know who did come knocking Baxian? How the hell does he keep getting past security in the downstairs lobby? I mean, not that it's very secure or anything like that, but it's still. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, but. It's supposed to be I so mean, secure. I mean, Adis got through there. How often has <laughs> Sabine gone through that damn oh, thing? I feel like Adis is just All like popping up. Blip. Man, but still. All right, jokes aside, Baxian wants in. Not in the apartment, but he wants to be a sympathizer after seeing them blow Ophian to smithereens. But alas, he's not allowed in the cool kids club. He's one of the bad guys. He definitely dub across them, sympathizer or not. Somehow, in the middle of all this, Hunt figures out that Bryce knows more than she's letting on, and he wants to know what exactly that is. He saw how tense she got when talking to Pippa about snakes and guessed that Emil was with the Viper Queen. You see, Bryce figured out that where the weary souls go to rest or find relief or whatever that was didn't mean the bone quarter. And she hoped that the Viper Queen would help because of the power Emil supposedly possessed. Remember, the Viper Queen can psychically communicate with little slithery and scaly things. And what's hanging out in the marshes? Sobex. They find Emil easily and report it back to the Viper Queen, who then dispatches her henchwoman to retrieve him. Bryce and Hunt go to the meat market to pick him up. It couldn't have been as easy as this, though, right? No, of course not. Bryce had to make a deal. The Viper Queen would rescue Emil and turn him over to Bryce in exchange for one favor owed to her, to be redeemed whenever she chose. How did Bryce orchestrate all of this, you ask? Well, through a very technical and advanced way of communication, postcards. Fury, Juniper, Ember, and Randall have been in on the secret the whole time. Randall, being the badass he is, taught Bryce long ago how to write in code. So while anyone who intercepted one of these postcards between her and Ember would see things like, I bought a new rug for the bathroom today. But really, it's more like you want to adopt this human who has no powers whatsoever. Emil was given a new identity, a new life with Bryce's parents. He became Cooper Salago, Bryce's half-brother. Hunt returns to the Comedium. Celestina inquires how the visit with Bryce's parents went. He continues to lie to her, and he doesn't feel great about it. 
She congratulates him for his and Bryce's change in status. I guess everyone can smell that they have mated on a biological level. Christina reports that there have been demon activity on the Northern Rift and has files she wants him to review since that's his specialty. Hunt Athlar, Demon Hunter. Speaking of Hunter, we find out that was Sandriel's nickname for Hunt, and he's not very fond of it. Okay, so Queen Hypaxia visits Rune at his house. His frat boy house. The disgusting, beer-soaked house with stained couches and mirth root on the coffee table house. He introduces her to his new roommates, the Fire Sprites, who we mentioned before, Rithi, Milana, and Sasa. And let's not forget Ariadne, the Dragon Shifter. Ethan, Flynn, and Declan are there too, but she shoes them away so he and Hypaxia can talk in private. She needs a favor. You see, she doesn't trust her mother's coven. She doesn't have the same vision they do. They would love to submit to the Asteri, which is weird because the former queen wanted the opposite of that too. But aren't witches loyal to their queen? Normally, yes. But with the unconventional upbringing Hypaxia had, she was not winning any popularity contest. They could choose Lydia, her half-sister, also known as the Hind, to take over, because even with no witch powers, Lydia could claim earth and blood, and that is a whole lot better than the necromancer gifts that Hypoxia... <laughs> Lydia could claim earth and blood, and that was a whole lot better than the necromancer gifts Hypaxia has. Ultimately, she would like an escort to the Archangel's meeting ceremony. Say less. Rune appoints Ethan to be on guard duty until further notice. Ethan, with his wolfy hearing, agrees, but asks Hypaxia if she would help him too. He wants to get in contact with Connor and the pack to warn them about what's to come with the souls being eaten and all second light stuff. She's willing to, but there's only one time she can do it, on the eternal equinox, which is only weeks away. That's when the veil between the two worlds is the thinnest. So is this like Halloween kind of like in our time? Because yeah, I believe they so. talk about they talk about like out in the city, people getting dressed up and things like that. But it's also mm. like an important holiday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. OK, which makes sense. Rune has an idea with the witch queen looking for security. He uses this as an excuse to keep Ariadne out of the astronomer's clutches. He needed a royal official reason to commandeer someone else's slave. And protecting his fiance was a pretty damn good reason. A dragon fits the bill perfectly. Meanwhile, Therian is deep in the Blue River. He reveals to his queen that the Sea Queen has awesome ships. Of course, she sees this as a threat, because why didn't she know about this before? Does her sister plan on using them against her? Paranoid much? She wants him to find out more information on the Queen's city ships and continue to search for a meal at the same time. Hunt finds Therian to tell him that he knows where a meal is, but doesn't reveal where to find him. He tells him to call off his search and that Emil doesn't have the Thunderbird powers that Sophie had led everyone to believe. But she only said that to get someone to help her find him. Therian is stunned. The River Queen is going to be so mad. He decides then to use this information to his benefit. He's going to pretend not to know anything to use it to buy more freedom from his obligations. <laughs> you know what those obligations are. The princess. Hunt leaves to find Bryce at work. 
he wants to do more research on these death stalkers. She's working late and doesn't think she'll be able to get them into the archives where she works. But hello, employee benefits. Use of the facilities alone. After hours. Wink, wink. Kayla, show me your wink. Good job. <laughs> he tells her about Asshole. the demons. <laughs> he tells her, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he tells her about the demons in Celestina's reports, all rare and all lethal. But Bryce can't help herself. She starts to play footsie with his big, muscled thighs. If Adis or the Prince of the Pit is planning something, this could be the first hint. He can't tell Celestina what's happening without divulging Hell's interest in Bryce, so he's researching a way to tell her. Bryce continues to distract him, tease him. If Hell's amassing armies, then the demons already sighted must be the vanguard, coming to test the defenses of Nenya. Bryce tries to be helpful. You know, there might be some text over there. In that dark corner of the library. More wink, wink. <laughs> While things are getting hot and steamy, they make their apologies for the lack of trust on both parts. I love you. I've been aching for you. Soaking panties. Dirty talk. Makeup sex ensues. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the Autumn King visits Bryce at her office on a completely different day. Thank gods, because that would have been real awkward. <laughs> he calls her out, though. He can smell that she and Hunt have made it, and he is not happy about it. But when is this guy ever happy? Like, never. Especially mm -hmm. when it comes to her, right? Yep. Room. Yes. He said he wanted her to marry Cormac to help her and her future Fay babies. In Avalon, supposedly, where Cormac is from, no one can penetrate the mists there without permission, even the Asteri. So this could potentially keep her and her young ones safe. Why should she believe anything he does would be done purely by good intentions. He's never cared about her before, not until she surpassed him in power. Bryce is suspicious and rightfully so, because dear old dad has one more thing up his sleeve. Princess Bryce Adelaide Dannon. The legal name change has been made and there is no going back. When Bryce used that title to help June, she basically declared it to be fact. He tells her, you purchased influence with your title with my name. No refunds, faxes, or returns. He commands her to maintain appearances with Cormac despite her so obviously smelling mated. Guys, she is pissed. No one tells her what to do. She's like the type of person who, when they're like, you do this, she's like, I don't think so. I'll do the other thing. <laughs> oh, she yeah. just uh -huh. buries her 100%. heels in the ground. Yeah. And she just. Well, and she had no relatable. idea. Like, no idea that by using it. Okay, I kind of thought she'd call herself like Princess Bryce Quinlan for some reason, even though I yeah. know that's not her royal name. So when she called herself Princess Bryce Dan Dannon, I was like, it felt uh -huh. wrong. You yeah. felt wrong. Using it. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Mm -hmm. Well, because I don't know if Quinlan was, that wasn't going to put as much emphasis, right? No. So she had to use a name. No, Dan. she needed oh, yeah, the totally. weight behind it. Yeah. She's not a princess as a Quinlan. Mm. No. She's a princess as a Dannon. All right. Okay. So, unbothered by Bryce's fit, 
The Autumn King notices the number on a piece of paper and asks her about it. It's a sequence of numbers found on Sophie's body. All elusive, he tells her he knows what she's looking for and that he's also been looking for the same thing for years. What is that? The truth. After the bomb her dad just dropped, Bryce needs someone to talk to. Someone who would understand what it means to be something more than she ever wanted to be. She calls the one person who comes to mind, Queen Hypaxia. They meet at a pizza place, or I assume it's a pizza place because that's what Queen Hypaxia ordered. But mm. <laughs> uh, but Ethan is also there as guard, and Ariadne is nowhere to be seen because maybe she's watching from like someplace else. I don't know. Girl talk commences. They both just want to be normal. Hypaxia for the few months after her mother died, before she was acknowledged as queen, and Bryce, well, all the time. Family, you're born to can be hard. Hypaxia divulges that she doesn't consider the hind as her family. She reveals Lydia's father is a rich and powerful stag shifter in Pangaea, and that she inherited her power from him and was sent to live with him when she was just three years old. Hypaxia never knew her or met her, but plans to meet her soon. After finishing lunch, they continue their girl talk and go for a walk, Ethan with them. Hypaxia slips that she was seeing someone, romantically, but the relationship wasn't possible. She tells Bryce her engagement to Rune was an attempt to keep the former Queen's Coven from gaining too much power. But didn't she want the witches to return to power? Aren't they already powerful? I guess not as powerful as they once were. It's as though their power is being siphoned away into nothing. Bryce asks if Hypaxia knew about what happens to the dead, and she does. You see, Hypaxia's tutors predate the Asteri. In fact, there was no such thing as the Bone Quarter when they were still alive. They died in Parthos before the Northern Rift opened. The dead told her what happens now after they die, and she didn't want the same thing to happen to her mother, but her coven wasn't happy that she kept her from being zoned to an eternal resting place. She gave up ever being able to communicate with her again just to keep her from going to the bone quarter and being eaten a second light. So where did the dead go before the Asteri? Her tutors told her, someplace beautiful. Their walk was so rudely interrupted by a massive scaled gray being who attacks and lunges at Ethan, biting down on his throat, ripping it out. He's out of commission. A second one comes to join the fight. The girls defeat the beast using Hypaxia's knife, Ethan's gun, and Bryce's teleporting skills. Isaiah arrives with the triari, wings in the sky, lights and sirens on the ground. Athlar shows up not too long after and recognizes the demon as the Death Stalkers. But how did they kill them? It's near impossible. Bred by Apollyon himself, they are fast. So fast that not even Faye could outrun them. By the way, Bryce doesn't tell Isaiah that she teleported. Why would the Prince of the Pits send the Deathstalkers? After all, he didn't give the impression he wanted her dead. He wanted her to learn to use her full powers. Was it a hit on Hypaxia, perhaps? Maybe. Maybe her coven sent them. With the unrest there, they could easily say Hell had a score to settle with Bryce and Hypaxia was just collateral damage. So, remember, Ethan got his throat ripped out and he was taken away to get healed. He wakes up and finds Hypaxia there, and then not too long after, Flynn and Therian visit him and want to know when he can come back home. 
When was the last time he felt like he had a home? Sure, he was part of a pack, but ever since Connor died, nowhere felt like it. He wasn't part of Connor's pack. He was part of Amelie's pack, but he still didn't feel like he was there. Anyways, he asked what happened to Ariadne. She was supposed to be watching from the rooftop, or at least that's what he thought. They told him that she fled, but where would she go? So Flynn leaves to let Ethan rest, and Therian walks Hypaxia home. While on their little stroll, we find out during the summit, over one of the breaks, they have become fast friends, bonding over various obligations since that accidental encounter. Therian, being Therian, even has a nickname for her, Pax. While chatting, they spot Pollux and Murdoch. Whatever could they be up to? Rune spills the tea, you guys. Surprise, surprise. Congrats on your new promotion, Prince Hunt. Son-in-law to the Autumn King, Rune's brother. Bryce is mortified and most definitely apologetic because isn't this what Bryce wanted to avoid becoming princess? But because of her official acceptance of the title and Hunt being her mate, he is now a prince. Either way, Hunt would be happy to share the crown with her. But Bryce has a plan to get out of this clusterfuck. So after walking Hypaxia home, Therian shows up and he's like, hey, do you got room for one more? I want to move in. And they let him. <laughs> Later on, day bright and night, see each other once again on that bridge. She apologizes to him for getting pulled away so unexpectedly. She confesses that he is her only friend and actually agrees to meet him on the eternal equinox. She has to go to the ball for the archangels, and would you look at that? He'll be there too. So they make a plan to meet at midnight near a fountain by the Comedium. And since this is a mass event, they come up with code words so they would recognize each other. Day to his night. Things are getting real, you guys. Mm-hmm. They're actually going to meet. Mm-hmm. I know, it was like a... She didn't want to. And he was always kind of curious, but... Mm. Oh, he's wanted this for a while. Oh, yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's breaking her down. He's definitely getting the feels. All right. So, Hypaxia and Rune are dates to the Eternal Equinox ball. Therian and the River Queen's daughter are there, too. Bryce and Cormac enter together, hunt and tow, third wheel in it. But the first order of business is to make their way through the crowd to give their well wishes to Celestina and Ephraim. And right there, in front of everyone, Mm -hmm. Bryce claims Hunt as her prince, and he is her mate. She's Hunt's property now, and there's nothing no one can do about it. But what about Cormac? Oh, you know, he's just a close friend who's nice enough to escort her to the ball. A public declaration to snub the Autumn King. How could he reprimand her for this? He can't. He does the only thing he can and plays along while glaring daggers at Bryce. But the Autumn King isn't the only one upset. Cormac is pissed. Not because the engagement is over, but because Bryce didn't give him a heads up. Mm -hmm. The Archangels pass on their congratulations, making their union more official. Ephraim and Celsina thank everyone for joining them and welcome their guests of honor. The Asteri. All six of them, because you know the seven one is dead. Um, Thankfully... Mm -hmm. They're there remotely. Oh, they definitely comment on the newly mated couples. Emphasis on couples. But how did they know? Because they just made this announcement. Like, mm-hmm. 
Rune searches through the sea of Vanir, and he spots Hypaxia, her eyes also scanning the crowd. He gets a little excited. Could she be his day? Nope. She's looking hmm. for her sister, the hind. Since he's got 10 minutes before midnight, he offers to go with her for moral support. Once they find her, Hypaxia makes the first move, and it doesn't go well. You can tell she's trying, but it's apparent Lydia has little to no interest and isn't impressed. All right, uh, so with two minutes left, Rune excuses himself and leaves anxiously. He runs into the harpy. Is it her? She doesn't know the password. It's now midnight 02, and day is nowhere in sight. The harpy's still there, and now the hind too. Not wanting to put day in any danger, he leaves without saying another word. Remember, the hind still hasn't said anything about Idara. At the ball, we go back inside. Hunt and Bryce can't keep their hands off each other. They escape in search of a place to relieve some pressure. But the cloakroom door is locked. Hunt uses his alcohol strength and shoulders the door open, eager to get Bryce alone. To their shock, they find Celestina with one of her bosoms hanging from her dress, her nipples still wet as if just in a lover's mouth. But it isn't Ephraim standing there. It's Hypaxia, mouth swollen, hair disheveled. Celestina is Hypaxia's lover. Celestina wants to free herself from love every single day because she thinks love is a trap. She even goes so far as to warn Hunt that being a prince is similar to being a slave. But to Hunt, Bryce is worth it. Hypaxia returns from the bathroom after claiming that her tummy was unsettled. Ethan finds her so they can try to contact Connor. As Hypaxia prepares for the summoning, Ethan notices she connects six candles with lines drawn with her knife and a seventh candle at its center. It looks a lot like a the six-pointed star Bryce made with the gates this past spring. Hypaxia says it's a symbol for balance, male and female, light and dark, above and below, and the power in the place where they meet. And she begins chanting. It gets colder, the necromancer magic working in the air. The soul is stronger than Hypaxia anticipated, and she's not sure how long she can keep the connection. In the center of the star, someone appears. Not Connor, though. The Underking. And he wants to play a little game, testing Hypaxia's power. Hypaxia and Connor have to find their way out of a dangerous labyrinth of wards designed to harm and maim while being chased by hounds. Okay, so day and night meet again at the bridge that connects their minds. Now it's Rune's turn to apologize to her. He tries to explain that he didn't stand around and that he was actually trying to keep her from danger. But she knows. She knows because she saw him there and calls him by his name. He wants another chance to meet her, but she's no longer there or close by. She knows more about him than he thought. Who his father and sister are. Who he's currently engaged to. Who is she? But he kisses her, and she meets his eagerness. And just like the last time, she's pulled away by that male on the other side. All of this happens, like, all in the same night of the Eternal mm. Equinox. Apollyon, the Prince of the Pit, the Star Eater, meets Bryce in her sleep. He's brought her to what remains of Parthos. He says Adis is raising Hell's armies right now to invade Midgard and reveals that he would not 
to be happy that Apollyon is meeting with Bryce. Why is Aedis so protective of her? Oh, that's right, because Bryce has a starborn queen's power for light, his great love. Apollyon tells her that he and Aedis were Thea's allies, despite what history has been passed down through time. That this is why he defeated Peleus and ate the seventh Asteri Sirius. He wants to know why she hasn't mastered her powers yet. Bryce asked him about the Reapers, and he says it wasn't him, and that he actually knows nothing about it. But he wants her to open the gates of hell, and had to wait till tonight, the eternal equinox, still on the same freaking night, to tell her. It's the time when the veil between the two worlds was the thinnest, and that doesn't add up. He was able to communicate with Hunt before. That's because he was bred to be receptive to their kind. Hunt's power can activate the horn. Hell is ready to finish the war. But wait, I have so many questions. What do you mean he was bred? Like, does that mean that they pick somebody and his mom and his dad were selected together to make him? Bryce? Hunt and the rest are at the ox training space the next day. Hunt zaps Bryce with his power, and Bryce practices teleporting through an obstacle course set up by Cormac. Hypaxia and Ethan find them there, still a mess from their encounter with the Underking. What happened? Is everything all right? What, what about Connor? They ask them. The Underking wants to see you at Erd's temple within the hour. If not then, Connor and the rest of the pack of devils go through the gates and he'll make second light out of them. Therian is at the meat market pretending to do espionage stuff to appease the river queen. But what does he overhear? Dragon gossip? Now his mind is whirling. Could he use Ariadne as an apology present after sleeping with the leopard shifter the night of the equinox? One would think a dragon would be perfect in lieu of a meal, right? He's trying to find ways to appease his queen so that he can get out of hot water. All right, so Therian mm -hmm. recruits Flynn, unbeknownst to him, to find the dragon shifter in the Viper Queen's nest. And there she is, just lounging casually on a couch watching TV. It seems that after leaving Ethan and Hypaxia before the Death Stalkers attack, she sought out the Viper Queen, wanting asylum. After some discussion, they came to an agreement, and now Ari, as Tristan Flynn so affectionately likes to call her, fights in the pits. And from what I understand, she is a force to be reckoned with. Even still trapped in her human form, she can kill a mofo. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so Flynn stays behind to convince the dragon shifter to come home while Therian moves to another room with the Viper Queen to discuss other things. The harpy is there. Fortunately, she's only there to buy drugs and left promptly after getting her goods. Therian wants info on Pippa Spetsos, or the Ophian Rebels. And he wants Ari. The Viper Queen doesn't do favors for free, but for the right price. What's her fee, you ask? Get Rune's legal team to mock up paperwork claiming the dragon has been commandeered by the Viper Queen and that her fighting here is a matter of imperial security. In return, she would tell him what she knows. But Therian would never get Ariadne. A deal was struck. So what does she know? Call your friends and find out, she tells him. I don't know about you, but I think Therian got the short end of this deal. Okay, 
So let's backtrack to the dragon shifter. She and the Viper Queen's arrangements was that Ariane could stay and fight for her and the money they made would be split. Basically, she would be working to buy her freedom. But how long would that take? Because Ariadne said that not even a prince's riches could buy her freedom. Like she just was that expensive. So how in the world was she going to be able to make that much money to buy her own freedom? So Bryce actually has been to Erd's temple um, in Moonwood once before with Juniper one drunken night during college. They wanted to make an offering to the goddess of fate, malevolent and far-seeing Erd. Please make our destinies as epic as possible. I think they got their wish. Juniper mm. dancing like a badass rock star. And then mm. Bryce with all her other shit. <laughs> all right. So Bryce, Rune, Hypaxian Hunt find the streets on the way to the temple are eerily empty. Could it be the Underking cleared it out? Or was it because of the menacing Pollux and Murdoch who were spotted on the way over? Are they looking for something or someone? Either way, it can't be good. The temple is empty too. Not one priestess in sight. But wait, there, sitting upon a stone throne on top of the dais, is the underking. Ominous, right? He tells them the reapers they thought were sent from Apollyon were actually from the Eternal City. That's oceans away. But reapers once crossed worlds. Water isn't going to stop them. He doesn't know why they attacked, but he definitely doesn't appreciate others creeping into his territory. He congratulates Hypaxia for making out of his labyrinth of wards and spells. He's changing subjects. Focus, King. Why did you call us here? <laughs> Do you know anything about the numbers found on Sophie's arm? I don't know, he says. But maybe the Lightfall soldiers and their leader Pippa Spetsos knows. What? They are marching into the temple courtyard right now. It was a trap. War means death. Death means souls and more second light. More food. And since Pippa told him who her new enemies were, they made a deal to benefit them both. This way, Pippa would get to slaughter her foes, a lot of veneer scum. And the underking would get a hefty supply of snacky snacks. Real hefty supply. Death is the only victor in war. Bullets blast through the temple doors, hopefully not of the Gorsian variety. The Ophian rebels try to get in. Bryce takes Hunt's hand, places it on her chest, and says, Light me up, Buttercup. He is going to need a lot of juice to pull off whatever plan she has in her brilliant little brain. It really does suck that no one else knows what's going on in there. Good thing Hunt trusts her. He blasts his lightning into her, giving her a much-needed boost. She's getting reinforcements. Just when things are getting hairy, Bryce pops right back. What did she do? The temple door indents. We have to get out of here. And Bryce, you're the only way. Teleport us out. You can't do it. You can. No, I can't. Yes, you can. We believe in you. You're stronger than you think. Reluctantly, she takes Hypaxia first. She did it, albeit it didn't leave her feeling so great. She returns, retching on the temple floors. She reaches for Rune next and vanishes. The temple doors dent further in and shutter open a few inches, enough to stick their little guns through and litter the place in bullets. The doors blow open. Lightfall soldiers fall to the ground from the force. 
But what's this? Pollux, with its glorious white wings, hammers his fist down on a rebel head. He's laughing because he's crazy. Behind him, Mordok and the Dreadwolves that were spotted earlier are being shot at by the rebels. And beyond that further is the Hind, watching from a safe distance. Blood and bone everywhere, Bryce returns, not looking too great. She's all tapped out, and just the thought of another power punch from Hunt makes her feel nauseous. She doesn't have enough in her to teleport again, but she came back for him. How did she get reinforcements? She went to the gates, found one of the um, found that one was pretty empty, and broadcasted a report that Ophian was attacking Erd's temple right in the middle of one of those stupid little daily announcements. But her voice will be recognized, right? Bryce is quick thinking to the rescue. She used one of those voice-altering apps and recorded the message before playing it over the gate. Brilliant, right? But how will they get out? The only door in and out of this place was trafficked with Ophian falling to their death by the hands of Pollux, Mordok, and the Dreadwolves. Hunt could try to blast his way through with his lightning, but then they would know of their involvement and the hind might reveal what she knew. Suddenly, a giant black dog with fangs the size of Hunt's hand appears by the throne. He motions to the throne with his massive clawed paw, then disappears behind it. Without a second thought, Hunt grabs Bryce and runs up the dais, finding nothing but empty space behind the throne. Not even Baxian is there. A growl behind him, he turns and finds the back of the throne isn't stone at all, but a doorway leading into a narrow stairwell. They dash through, Baxian transforming into his angelic form and seals them in. That's not the first time Baxian has shown up to save them. Sus much? With what pathetic amount of energy Bryce has left, she takes the gun from her shoulder and points it right at Baxian. What's your deal? I don't believe you're not working for the Hind or the Asteri. Tell me the truth before I put this bullet through your head. Unafraid and unworried, Baxian looks at her and says, Through love, all is possible. He peels down the collar of his battle suit, and there, just over his heart, is a tattoo in Danica's handwriting with those same exact words. Because oh, Danica was my mate. Mm. I loved this reveal so much. So good. They go back and forth about this. How did Bryce not know? How did she not recognize the signs? Baxine tells them how they met and that they knew instantly that they were mates. After the deal was sealed, you know, Danica told him everything. How Synth was a cover story. But ultimately, she died because of her research. Remember, Danica was a history major and had even asked the prime questions about their lineage. She was trying to find an alternative to Sabine. She didn't want to leave the wolves in her care, especially since Danica didn't think she would have much longer to live. After they met, she started looking for ways for her and Baxian to be together because no way in hell would Sabine, Sandril, or the Asteri permitted. Glad someone finally put a bullet through Micah's head, Baxine had said when they first met. He had a feeling that Dirk was involved in Danica's death. <laughs> that was like the first sign, you guys. The first sign. And I missed it. I didn't even think about it. I love him so much. I know. I really do love Baxian. I love him. Okay. So, 
If he knew so much about Danica, told him all her secrets, does he know about Sophie Renast? When Danica was looking into the Thunderbird lineage for her shifter research, she found Sophie and confirmed it with her bloodhound nose. Danica had some theories about the Thunderbird's powers. What about the numbers? He recites them. It's a system of numbering rooms used in only one place in Midgard, the Asteri Archives. He knows this because he gave it to Danica. Danica became obsessed when she found out. She had theories that would alter this very world. Sophie was supposed to find her way into that archive and find out what was inside. It took her three full years, but by that time, Danica had died and now Sophie is dead too. That must have been the leverage against Ophian and the stairs she planned on using. But why couldn't they find anything about this on the World Wide Web? Because everything in the Asteri is highly encrypted. Which makes sense. Declan to the rescue. There's good news and bad news. Bad news first. There's no way to hack into the archival systems. It's ironclad. The good news. The camera system in the Eternal Palace is not ironclad. He can verify if Sophie ever made it to the archives. Let's do it. He finds her by using a facial recognition program. Everyone piles on the couch around Declan. Bryce tries to get a hold of Cormac, but he is not answering his phone. 7 Ada dot 3 Alpha Omega. That's it. The camera footage shows Sophie going in and out of that very door two months before. Bryce had to know what was in there, what was so important that Danica was willing to risk everything to find out. But trying to get in with the intense security in place, how would they manage? Yes, Baxine had been there before, but that was long ago when Sandriel was still alive. But who else could help them get around the Crystal Palace and ultimately to the archives? None other than Bryce's good friend. Fury to the rescue. She's been to the palace and knows the layout intimately. But she won't be there to help. She plans to take Juniper far away from all this mess. But before she does, she delivers a detailed, hand-drawn map. Before hmm. going to the Eternal City, with a very high possibility of not coming back alive, Therian decides to tie up loose ends. He meets with the River Princess and calls off the engagement. She is seething. She knew all along he didn't want to marry her, but she was hanging on to one shred of hope that he would do the right thing. Now she's going to tell Mommy. Therian runs to the only place he can think of to help him, the Viper Queen. He offers to sell himself to her as a slave, as a fighter for her pits. She has a better idea. Defect from the River Queen and join her instead, but still be a pit fighter. She pierced the skin of her wrist, letting her blood fall. He took it and drank it. If he could defect from the River Queen, surely then he could defect from the Viper Queen too, right? Mm -hmm. So you guys, for the longest time, I thought I was missing something. I couldn't remember why Therian and the River Princess were engaged. Like they kept talking about it. And I was like, what? I don't, I don't understand. But mm -hmm. I would like to add that I wasn't crazy because they only tell us in part three of this book. Thanks to Ethan, we find out that Therian wanted to fuck the princess so bad that he swore himself to her, thinking he could undo it in the morning. He obviously couldn't. And that was 10 years ago, you guys. 
Well, and Since... like the fact that he had they hadn't forced a wedding at this point is just wild. <laughs> Ten right. years is a long well, engagement. I understand you're you live forever and whatnot, but that's a long time. Well, and they talk about how, like, petty and jealous she is all the time. And, like, yes. mm-hmm. she gets upset, tells mom, mom, like, punishes mom him. makes him do something stupid. Mm-hmm. But also, in this one instance, when he's telling her that he was cutting it off, I was kind of like, yeah, girl, I don't really blame you. Because she's like, I knew this whole time. Yeah, yeah. asshole. But, like, I had hope that it could be something. And... Mm-hmm. You just strung me along for 10 years. Like, yeah, you were attached to me, but also you strung me along for 10 years. So mm-hmm. it's gonna, like, I just wonder if he had done it, I don't know, a lot sooner if the reaction would have been the same or not. Just out of curiosity. No. But he probably wouldn't have been captain of an intelligence either because he got that appointment because Agreed. of mm-hmm. her. But All also... Right. Did he have to go to the Viper Queen? Because, like, that's a really drastic response. Well, and after remembering what happened to Juniper's brother, I'm just like, cool, now are you going to get addicted to her venom? And we're in this whole oh, yeah. scenario over again. Oh, and yeah. I'm just, <laughs> I like mm-hmm. Marion. I don't, I don't wish that for him, but I just feel like that's where it's going. Since we're talking about girls... Therian asks if Ethan is seeing anyone, and his mind goes to the Alpha Wolf Mystic. Mm. And since we're on the topic of wolves, Ethan goes to the Prime, intent on telling him about the wolf enslaved to the astronomer. Sabine is livid. Why would she save a lone wolf? It's a waste of time, and anyone who would want to help is a fool. Ethan leaves, knowing he did what he could. He told someone. Sabine follows him out. Then the Prime asks, what did she look like? Does she smell like snow and embers? Perplexed, Ethan confirms this and describes the wolf as pale-skinned with medium brown hair. But how did he know? Because Sabine is not the only Fendir heir. Sabine had an older brother she fought decades earlier, taking his Prime apparent title and becoming Alpha. Everyone assumed he died, but maybe he didn't and was just exiled. He decides that he can't go with everyone else to Pangira. He has to do whatever he can to guard her, because if there is another Fendir heir, this could be the future Danica had hoped for. Okay, back to the plan. Cormac finally arrives after convincing his dad that he's trying to woo Bryce back from Athlar after his engagement failed so publicly. Okay, these fey kings are delusional. Can I just put that out there? Quite literally delusional. You're mated biologically, but like, it's fine. All right. They need a big distraction while Hunt, Rune, and Bryce go to the palace archives and dungeons. Cormac tells them that Pippa is planning a raid in a few weeks on the Pangeran Labs. She wants the mech suit prototypes and their scientists. They can lure her out by carrying out a raid earlier than expected. Declan is going to plant info on the rebel network saying that anti-Ophian rebels are on their way to destroy the base, forcing Pippa to act sooner rather than later. The lab is only 20 miles north of the Eternal City. If everything is timed right, Pippa and the Ophian would get to the lab, follow shortly after 
by the Dreadwolves. Day and night see each other one more time. Let's just say they have some toe-curling, breath-holding, heart-racing. Is it getting hot in here, or is it just me moment between them? You guys, it's spicy. And after they finish, Rune tells Day that this was a good distraction for what's coming up for him. And what's that, she asks. He tells her everything. I can only imagine her face changing as he's telling her this, going from innocent curiosity to what the fuck? And then horror. She begs him not to go through with it. She's at the Crystal Palace and it's too dangerous. But before she can elaborate more, she winces in pain and is pulled away again by that horrible male on the other side. Right before she disappears, she says, the dungeons. And with that, Rune declares the job starts tomorrow. <sighs> Day has to be there, right? That's where they're keeping her. He needs to find her to save her. The next day, ready or not, here we come. While waiting for the all clear from Cormac that things are underway with the plan, Rune has a little heart to heart with Bryce. I thought he was going to tell her what the Oracle had told him, but he tells her that she should be queen. Of course, she has no interest in becoming queen. Cormac interrupts her discussion when he teleports in, taking Bryce with him to the Crystal Palace. He overheard just a bit of the conversation and asked if what he heard was true that rune thought she should be queen of the fae he's right you know he tells her i didn't understand what the oracle's prophecy was but i do now she didn't mean our union and marriage would bring prosperity to our people she meant our union as allies allies in this rebellion but the choice is up to you cormac drops bryce off with hunt and leaves to bring rune back <laughs> Rune no. with them, and Cormac back with Therian at the lab. Their plan is live. Light it up, Athelar. Hunt presses a hand over the star scar and watches as his lightning passes to Bryce once again. Then she teleports into the archives, into a stairwell. At her back was the other side of the door Sophie had walked through. The only thing beyond the stairs and the long hall were a set of crystal pipes shooting upward into the ceiling with plaques beneath them and small black screens beside the plaques. One for each of the Asteri, seven in all. Each plaque has a different name. Hesperus, Polaris, Esophorus, Octartus, Ostrus, Sirius, and Rigelus. Suddenly, First light erupts from the crystals, shooting up the six pipes. Sirius is empty because he was gobbled up, so his doesn't work. <laughs> the black screens filled with readings showing different power levels of the Asteri. The Asteri fed on first light. They needed first light. Everything behind the store, from the quartz floor and the crystals funneling power into the pipes. It's a conduit of power, just like the gates in Crescent City. This room is exactly seven levels below the throne room. Did the Steri fill up with power while sitting upon their crystal thrones? All the power given to the Steri, first light and second light, was used against its citizens to control them. They gave them an endless power supply. Stop the source of power and they could destroy the Steri. Declan, having access to the cameras in the Crystal Palace, keeps them on Bryce. He reassures Hunt that Bryce is okay and that she went into a door marked dusk. 
He was starting to panic because Bryce had been in there longer than anticipated, and time was running up. Hmm. Could this be Dust's truths that they were trying to find? In the room, she sees a round table with seven seats around it and a projector in the middle, but the walls are covered with paper. Star maps with different constellations and solar systems. One map had been pinned where the only inhabitable planet was. It was labeled Renthar, Conquered, AE, 14,000. Scribbled beside it, Abelisco's Aquatic People, Primordial Land Life, Little Supply, Terminated, AE, 14,007. She found similar pins, labels, and notes on other planets. Then she finds Midgard, Conquered, AE, 17,003. They did not see the old enemy who offered a hand through space and time. Like a fish to bait, they came. They opened the gates to us willingly. They walked through them to Midgard at our invitation, leaving behind the world they knew. The Asteri had lured them here, all from other worlds, from other planets, using the northern and southern rifts to travel between worlds, to feed off of them. She turned on the projector and found a 3D round map of the cosmos. It was a digital aurora, like the metal one in the Autumn King's Library and the Astronomer's Chamber. She found a planet, Hell, Lost, AE, 17001, a dark, cold world with mighty creatures of night. They saw through our lures. Once warring factions, the royal families of Hell united and marched against us. We were overwhelmed and abandoned the world, but they gave chase. Learned from our captured lieutenants how to slip between the cracks in the realms. They found us on Midgard, 17,002. Tried to convince our Lord Prey of what they, we were, and some fell for their charms. We lost a third of our meals to them. War lasted until nearly the end of 17,003. They were defeated and sent back to hell. Far too dangerous to allow them access to this world again though they might try. They developed attachments to the Midgard colonists. Thea. Hell had been trying to save them for 15,000 years. Bryce frantically searches for the Asteri's homeworld. You won't find her homeworld, Rigelus laughs through the intercom. They knew she was here the entire time. They want Bryce to open the doors between worlds. With the starborn light and the horn, she is the key. They have actually been stuck here on Midgard since Queen Thea's daughter sealed the doors 15,000 years ago. Danica discovered that all shifters are fey from a different planet, but not the same as Bryce. He tells Bryce that her kind comes from an isle that existed in a beautiful, near-permanent twilight, a land of dusk. They killed Danica to keep her from revealing the truth, and it was easy to nudge Micah to do their dirty work. Inconvenient that Bryce got rid of him after. She teleported out of there to Hunt. But Rune's not there. Hunt is on his knees, bound with Gorsian manacles. Stunned, she wasn't fast enough to stop the harpy from slapping similar cuffs on her, too. Rune is captured by Mordok, Danica's dad, in the dungeon while he was searching for Daybright. Hunt and Bryce are brought down there, too, and chained to the wall. Mordok ratted them out. He had been sniffing them all around Lanathian and told Rigelus what they were up to. 
Rigelus is really interested in them, especially Athelar, because he doesn't smell like a regular angel. He's a cool angel. What does that mean? What kind of angel is he? But is also, he, is, is he an angel? angel? Is he? I don't I know. I don't think so. No, okay. I don't think so. I think, he was, I think he was created. I don't think he that he's an angel. By somebody. I think, I think he was bred, but I don't know if that means that, like, things bred or if he was created. Created. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. You guys, my mind, I don't know if it's ready to receive this info. Anyway, <laughs> but that's why Mordak was everywhere because yes. he was just everywhere telling mm-hmm. on them. A little asshole. Mm-hmm. Okay, the harpy wants a go at Hunt before the hind ruins her fun. The harpy taunts them and she decides she's going to fillet Rune in front of Bryce, a different kind of torture. Who will save them? Their only hope of getting out of here quickly is Cormac if he teleports them away. But suddenly, something golden and swift as the wind barreled into the harpy's side and sent her sprawling. Rune recognizes the lovely scent immediately. It's somehow entwined with his own. Faint, but still there. Day, he whispered. Night. Lydia Servos, Hypaxia's half-sister, a double agent, the hind, and Daybright. Mm. It was Pollux who would steal her from the bridge. How could his enemy be his lover? She saved him, them, more than once. It was her who summoned the city ship in Idara. We got your message. With the white calling stone, and now in the dungeon with the harpy. She found out that Murdoch was working with the Asteri and tried to warn Rune the last time they were together. But when she found out that only her people knew, she couldn't risk telling him in fear that she would be discovered. There's no time to dissect and untangle everything because Pollux is on his way. But Bryce and the Hind have to make it look real. Make it look like Bryce killed the Harpy and moved on to the Hind. Without reluctance, not a second thought, Bryce punches Lydia in the face, knocking her down, climbs over her, and just starts wailing at her face, beating her into submission. Pollux gets there and pulls Bryce off. Then the hind cuffs Bryce again. Maybe. The deadly Mm -hmm. couple escort the threesome to the elevators. They are expected in the throne room. There, sitting on the (gasps) middle of the throne, glowing with first light, awaits Rigelus. Hunt's severed wings displayed high on the wall. Shahar's right above his, still glowing after all these years. Isaiah's is there also on the left to his. Where were the others, Terry? Oh, they were pulled away to the lab that was incinerated along with Cormac, Pippa, and everyone else there. For Cormac, (laughs) this was his suicide mission. But there was a report... That one person fled the scene before everyone else and everything else burned to hell. You want me to open a portal for you? Fine, but only if you let them go and agree to leave them unharmed forever. That's the real reason the Asteria lured them here. It was for Bryce. Rigelus couldn't just kidnap them after all, especially with her being a very public being. He had to set a trap. A trap that started when he disguised himself as Adis, you guys. I did not know. When you ask, in the beginning, when he showed up as a cat in her apartment, who else? Sorry, 
Sorry, Ethan. That wasn't. No, that wasn't a prince <laughs> of hell. It was actually an Asteri. Oh my like, God. It gets worse. Who else uh. would have been able to get through those wards? He was the one who sent the Reapers, the Bone Quarter, all of it, a nudge to get her to hone her powers for just this occasion. The star in her chest is a beacon to the world from which the Fae originally came. It glows when nearest to the Fae who have undiluted bloodlines from that world. Prince Cormac, for example. And it glows for those who you choose as your loyal companions. Knights, for example. The Asteri want revenge on that world. The one that beat them before. They tried once, but the stubborn star-born queen threw a wrench in their plans. A world rich with magic and responsible for the deaths of their brothers. Rigelus agrees to let Hunt and Rune go. Our love is stronger than time, greater than any distance. Our love spans across the stars and worlds. I will find you again, I promise. Hunt says to Bryce. <laughs> She's granted her last goodbye to her mate and her brother. Turning to Rune, he tells her the truth about what the Oracle had told him. Finally. You have to live, Bryce. You have to be queen. He mind tells her to grab the star sword when she leaves. They need the armies from hell and they need her to bring them here. While Bryce was hugging the boys, she unlocked their shackles with the key the hind slipped into her pocket. They had one more chance to get out of this. In all of this, Rune slips something into her pocket. But she, I don't think they talked about what that was. I think it's the crystal, but I don't it's know. The it's the comms crystal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Long live the queen. With the signal spoken, she grabs the star sword, turns toward the bright hand, and blasts him with starlight. Hunt throws his loosened manacles and shoots his lightning at the Asteri too, giving her time to make her getaway. A moment is all they have. Rigelus blasts Hunt and takes chase after Bryce. She ran towards the court's gate at the end of the passage, the gate she'd opened to take her to hell. Rigelus is getting closer. Lightning spears down the hall into her back, filling her with Hunt's power. It ruptures a scar in her chest and into the gate, activating it. Right when Rigelus grabs her hair, she teleports to the gate. Or so she thought. The words keep trapping her. She was only able to teleport 10 feet at a time. She's 10 feet away from its opening and makes the jump the rest of the way. After Bryce is gone, Rigelus puts a halo back on Hunt. Did Vaxine get one too? He had been in the throne room too and helped hold the others off with Hunt while Bryce ran. Hell is nothing like Bryce expected. She landed on an immaculate green lawn with a river nearby, and across that river was an ancient, beautiful city. Someone places a knife to her throat and speaks to her in a language she doesn't recognize. The strong male hauls her up and twists her around to face him. Black demon wings, his hazel eyes see the star sword on the ground, and he picks it up. He blindfolds her, then carries her off, lying them somewhere. A house? Where is she? Is this really hell? Who's this petite, dark-haired female with angular eyes like fury? She was a fae in beautiful, old-fashioned clothes. Who is the other pretty female with brown, gold hair next to the other winged male? No one could understand her, so she tried in the only other language she knew, the 
ancient language of the Fae of the Starborn. No one has spoken in this language in 15,000 years. The male who brought her here had a knife that could have been the twin of the Star Sword, black hilted and bladed, bright light lit from the Star Sword and dark light from the knife, Alpha and Omega. Another female enters with brown gold hair, similar to the one already standing in front of Bryce, with tattoos from her hands to her elbows. The dark-haired male who stepped in after her. Rune? Same violet eyes, same black hair, face and posture? All similar to Rune. Hello, Bryce Quinlan. My name is Resand. Epilogue. Here we go. All right, almost done. Oh, Meanwhile, well, all the shit's happening, going down. Oh my god, Ethan has been on wolf watch outside the astronomer's building. Flynn calls him and tells him what Declan saw go down through the camera feeds. They need him. His pack. They need him, but he can't leave without the wolf. He busts through the door with. A one-two punch and begs for her to wake up. The lost Fendir air opens her eyes. Oh my god. It just so much. So much freaking happens at the end there for us to discuss, quite frankly. We'll break up the ending a little bit because there's really just so much that happens there. Um, in regards to the Asteri, how do, how do we feel about everything we learned in regards to that? Because so much, so much is unveiled as far as who they are, what they do, all the things. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? They're leeches. Yes. They're literally leeches. (laughs) I don't think that... Those are their bodies. I think they are leeches inside of said bodies. Because, I mean, they kind of say that that was his chosen body. was the body of a 17-year-old boy. Yeah. Yeah. Younger boy. That are literally just like world conquerors that go from one community to the next looking for a world that has fae or Mm -hmm. whatever. Rich in magic so that they can siphon it off. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But they did make the point, not that I'm agreeing with it. He's like, what's the difference between you and me? I feed off first light. You feed off the land. Why is, like, he tried to make it so that she could see his point of view. You kill animals and you eat them. You plant things and you eat those. And you're also looking for fertile land that will, you know, give you life or replenish your sustain you and stuff like that so yeah but they're also like conquering world conquering yes. worlds and then mm-hmm. de- decimating them if yeah, they're not what it. they want mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like one of them didn't taste good and was like mm. or they went to one where the adults didn't taste good but the children did yeah and they only fed mm-hmm. off the children Meh. well nope. and Fucking I just leeches. imagine on all these worlds that they consume this energy the same way they are here. So here, I mean, they it's have a whole system and it's been modernized, but what were they doing before that they have to, I, I'm just trying to imagine it had to have been different. So there must be another way for them 
to leech off someone's power. And I imagine that more than often kills them. So I, I guess I appreciate that this way kills a lot less people, but still really fucked up. I mean, yeah. they, they still get it, though. Once it comes back in second light, they're still eradicating their soul. But they were trying I mean, to make true. it seem like it's okay, right? So they're like, you make the yes. drop, you give us your first light, and in return, we give you a long life. And then yeah. that's how they were trying. Not that. Yeah. But then they also would have gone to a peaceful resting place. No. And they took that from them. Because yeah. then they are just going back to being food so they're mm -hmm. yeah you get a long life but all they're doing is raising their cattle mm -hmm. literally for slaughter mm -hmm. rather yeah. than them having that peaceful resting place that they would have had before they came here mm -hmm. yeah and not even that it was only humans here before the rift yeah it was hum humans and regular animals before the rift they mm -hmm. did not exist else. in this planet yeah, I, wanna, they brought him I in. guess what was the lore? What was what did they say out there that like, hey, come over here, this place is better? Like what what made this place so great that people wanted to come over? Did I do we know? Did, um <laughs> not entirely. Is it like I the mean, promised land and people just kinda kinda like the promised land, yes. But I will get into in the theories of oh, sh Okay. Who, where, say. what, when, and why. I love it. I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay. Um, yeah. How do we uh, feel about Bryce ending up in Prithian? Like, what? Okay. I don't know about you guys. I Some people caught on to that so fast. Like, knew where they were at. I did not fucking know. I didn't until know. I, until I don't Reese know. said something? Yeah, that's the only no, time I, I knew. I don't I don't know if it was all the way until Reese. I think I caught on maybe when Feyre came in and they were talking about her tattoos. And I was like, what the actual fuck? Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. Like, hell's not as bad as it's supposed to be. Like, okay, they got, like, hot guys down here with their wings and whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, how many, how often is, it's kind of like the Night Court. It's presented yeah. as, like this horrible place but it's actually not that bad really mm -hmm. yeah um so i was just like oh cool you you get See, some nice demons down there and i don't mind you again i'm trying to remember back to when i first read this i remember reading it so fast too mm -hmm. fast that i didn't pick up on yeah. a lot of the details so it really did take me till reese was like Oh, hello. I was like, oh, oh shit. Oh, yeah. okay. Better reread that. I clearly missed out. We are, whoa. Yeah, <laughs> I went back and reread it. Yes, but I don't know that I necessarily, as soon as she started describing it, I didn't really think she was in hell. I think I thought she ended up somewhere else. I just wasn't sure what that was. Yeah, no, I, I fully believed that she was in hell. And I was like, oh, interesting. Hell seems nice. That's what I, I thought that she was in hell. And I was just like, okay. Because that's where Come they said she out. was going. And yeah. So I didn't even, again, my mind doesn't go to things. I'm just like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Come to find oh out. Hell has nice houses and pretty long. Right. And really hot guys with wings. Yeah. Love. <laughs> All right. Did you guys expect Agent Daybright to be behind? 
Oh, I'm trying no. to. I, no. No. But. Hard no. I feel like I got suspicions there at the end, but it was not like maybe after the the equinox, I yeah. might have gotten suspicious, but no. Mm-mm. Wouldn't and have guessed like, it was going to be her. And it's interesting, especially since we had to scour this book to really go through a recap, how this very subtle little clue she gives to this. Yes. Because there really are a few, but they're very subtle. She really didn't want you to necessarily pick up that it could have been her. And like yeah. even all the way back to the prologue where she drops the... The little stone, stone thing. to mm-hmm. signal the book. I just, she's, she's genius. I can't. Sarah J. Moss, you just, you're too much for me. I I but how sad is that, you guys? How sad is it that the hind dropped the stone <laughs> and threw Sophie in the water, thinking that this stone was going to save her? She's like, this, this is X marks a spot. Put it here. She's going to be, gonna okay. be here. And they didn't get there fast enough, and she dropped. Well, and that's why the hind was so surprised. Like when we get to that part later, she was genuinely surprised to find out that she was dead. And it's really because she thought she got saved. Yeah. <laughs> that's so sad. It is so, so sad. sad. So, of course, Ethan, doing his own, own little thing over here, goes to release the wolf from the astronomer. Do we think, like, how do we think? think this is going to play out as far as her alpha ability rivaling that of Sabine. Do we think she's going to be like the one to take over? Do we think it's going to be Ethan? Do we think this could be Ethan's mate? Because I'm kind of here for that potential. I just, that's a very clear sidebar, it being the epilogue. So I think it's going to be a big thing that comes in play either in this yes. next book or book after God only knows with Sarah J. Maas. But what are your guys' thoughts on this? Um, I mean, I'm always here for mates because. Yes. Love, that's where I want. Love that. Um, so I would love for Ethan to have a mate so mm-hmm. he can obviously not be hung up on Bryce because it makes me sad for him to be sad. I'm hopeful. Once again, I feel like Sarah J. Moss, even though she puts her characters through hell, doesn't usually leave them in a shitty situation. So I just can't picture her leaving them with Sabine as their answer. Uh, But I just feel like this mystic, she's been in that freaking pool since she was four. She could be a hundred years old. She made the drop. No one knows. She could be so old. She's frail. She's all these things. Like it's going to take a lot. There's going to be no muscle to her either, right? Like, she's going to be... Unless she has an ungodly amount of power, Mm -hmm. which she could. She's a mystic. But I don't know what that translates to anything else. I agree. So, I hope so. I mean, and maybe she doesn't want to rule, but maybe she will with Ethan by her side because he actually would know how to run a pack Mm -hmm. and all of that. But um, I kind of feel like the Prime would be here for it, too. Just saying agreed very much i have a question (laughs) so (laughs) how does one become a mystic because i guess i missed this part or they probably talked about it anyway did she have 
a mystic-y power? And then yeah, that's how her, they sold her to the astronomer? Like, what is that power? Yeah, so her, her power, it's being able to, like, see into the cosmos. It manifested when she was three. Oh. And she was in the tub by the time she was four. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I still miss things, even though I just read it. And she had, what, ten siblings? Yes. Nine or ten siblings? But wasn't she the oldest? No. No. No, it's just the... He says, like, she was an alpha. I guarantee they probably saw that by the time... If she's this dominant, they probably saw that. And then he goes down the thought process of, like, oh, my God, did they send her here because she was a threat to her parents to be alpha of their family? Mm -hmm. Like, she would have taken over her family someday, regardless of what her order is within them. So he kind of like goes down that little like. Do you think because they said that she wasn't part of a pack anymore, so it wouldn't be have been like the prime thing. So do you think that they probably sent her there to like keep her safe from Sabine because Sabine had kicked the dad, whatever the brother. I don't out. know. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he could go. Anyway, she said her family was extremely poor. They had mm -hmm. 10 kids. They, she was alpha. She maybe was extremely dominant from a very early age. Now she's a mystic. Mm -hmm. She's a huge threat to Sabine. hundred mm -hmm. percent. Mm -hmm. And Sabine had already beat him, her older brother. Mm -hmm. She's very powerful. So, yeah. and he was yeah. the prime apparent before. So, I mean, yeah. 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 So very, could have been, yeah. I would like to think that it was for safety, for safety. rather than they them just needed money, <laughs> just needing money and dropping yeah. their their four year old off there because I mm -hmm. literally can't imagine. But yeah, that hurts my soul. I can't imagine. Yeah, but also like, sorry, to this creepy guy. Eight of you. Yeah, but like That's to this creepy so guy that is now going to use her to go down into hell and. And he tortures her. Yeah. He tortures her with them. Ugh. Asshole. I just hate him. He he is someone I would happily see die. <laughs> there are theories about him, too. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm sure. Because, I mean, we just don't know that much about him. So, I mm -mm. just big well, question mark. Yeah, and, and Ariadne's like, don't believe that frail act. He mm -hmm. is an ancient sorcerer. I know. I want to yeah, know how knows him. Yeah. I mean... The talk is that he could be Koshje, which okay. is the sorcerer from Akatar that keeps the young girls. He makes the human queen into a firebird and he lives at that lake, but he's contained to that lake. Mm -hmm. But he was an ancient, he's one of the like ancient death gods. Um, and he's a sorcerer. So some people believe that he's Koshje and somehow can cross over or whatever. I don't know that I believe that, but they say that even Jessica doesn't like mess with him. So he's, he's powerful. Clearly, uh, very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, also I would love to highlight that Cormac gives his life for his cause. I and I just felt very sad, but then part of me was hoping regardless of the whole second light bullshit that at least he has a moment with Sophie mm -hmm. over there. Like <clears throat> I'm hoping their little souls unite just so they can have this at least brief moment of peace that they gave their life 
doing what they could to make the world yeah. a better place. Well, and maybe we can hope that Bryce will take the Steri down and get rid I of the bone quarter so. and they can live happily I, ever after in their field of green I somewhere. I want that so bad. Uh, I know it. Um, other sidebar. <laughs> I love that Bryce just was secretly chatting with her mom via postcards to get a meal to essentially be her new mule stuff. I loved all of that so much. Did you guys see that coming? Like how it played out? No. Because um, I was shook that that's what they were doing with the postcards. <laughs> I, yeah, no, didn't. I mean, another brilliant thing that Bryce does. You know what I mean? Like, yes. she's just so smart. But also, she does nothing by halves. She's like, oh, this boy needs a family. You are my family now. You are now my yes. little brother. And the yes. fact that, like, Randall and Amber just, like, accept him in. And they're so excited. She gets his room ready. Yeah. When she calls, he's already out hunting with Randall. And Bryce knows what a good Mm-hmm. life he's gonna have and like mm-hmm. they're gonna change his life and make it better yeah. i love that well and it really did seem like ember genuinely wanted another child even though yes. they made no reference up to that point she was just so happy to have another child she called him a gift she's like thank you for I this know. gift i know i just loved it so much it was so mm-hmm. so sweet and so for endearing this- and this poor boy who's been at a death camp, he's seen his family get killed. He's seen his sister get mm-hmm. killed. He's been chased. Like, he's had just a horrible, mm-hmm. horrible life for the most part. I so I just, yeah, I think it's beautiful. And I love them even more for it. Mm-hmm. I agree. It was such a tender moment. I know. Um... <laughs> Vaxian and Danica, everyone. I mean, what? We need that story. I can't. Kayla and I were talking about this, how we need Danica's. I have a whole conniption rereading this again for the, how I don't even know how many times. One, I went up on my little pedestal and was like, why do we not talk about Vaxian more? Of all the characters in this freaking book, why do we not talk about him more? Talk about a change a a full 180 from what he was because we know that he was as bad as hunt if not worse Mm -hmm. maybe who knows he used to enjoy doing whatever we don't know Mm -hmm. but danica came into his life and completely changed him Mm -hmm. he changed who he is because of his mate and you can feel how much he loves her yes feel how much he is looking out for her people because he's doing it for her Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also we talk about over and over again that Danica did not tell anyone anything. Yeah. She did not tell Bryce any of this. Maxian uh-huh. knew everything. Yeah. She told him everything. Mm-hmm. She kept nothing from her mate. Not her best mm-hmm. friend. That literally could have been like a friend mate. They mm-hmm. were so close. Yeah. No. Absolutely. She told him everything and they were only together for two years. And not even that, you guys, they didn't see each other on a daily basis. No. They could only meet in secret once yes. every two months or something like that. And even yeah. then it was still so hard. So just the fact that she shared so much with him. And I need that mm-hmm. story. 
I know. I know I said this in the last, but I need this story so badly. I yeah. know that we know how it ends, but I want to know the time they met, what happened, mm-hmm. what they did in those two years, mm-hmm. her going through all of this. We thought she was doing all of this alone and she really wasn't. She mm-hmm. had him who she was yeah. talking to about mm-hmm. it and he was helping her mm-hmm. and she wasn't alone. And I just need to know. And like seeing her having the two sides of her and him having the two sides of him. Like when he went yes, back to yeah. Serial, and yes. she went back into Lunathian with, you know, faking like Thorn is who she had this forbidden kind of like thing yeah. going on with that they never acted on. No, no, no. <laughs> I just love it. Yeah. I know. I really think she could come out it's with one of my at favorite least a novella at some point and just yes. give us a little snippet into that world because I just think it would do so much for us. Someone as should start a petition and we should I all sign say, it. I, you read my mind. <laughs> like, I'm on it right now. I'm on it. <laughs> Actually, already writing it. Yeah, I'm writing the I'll petition. I'll put your right names now. down. <laughs> Anyone who's listening, come at me. You can sign yeah. the petition. I know you want to read that too. Oh my god. All right. I love them. I love them. I know. So what do we think about Celestina? Do we think she's really good? Does she really have these pure intentions? Could she really be bad? And she's just been faking this genuine connection with everyone. What do we think? Or is it just because she wants to save Hypexia? Because I think they're made it the way she was acting with that whole. Ooh. Yeah, she got real glowy. Yeah, she was very to... similar to how she Hunt was ready... responded. Yes, mm-hmm. she was. I think they're made ready it. to f him up. I think she's. Uh-huh. I want to. In my heart, I want to say she's good because I don't want to yeah. see that she's a I bad know. person because she was on Shahar's side and she said that she tried to buy Hunt to save him from yeah. Sandriel and stuff like that. She. I feel like deep in my heart that she's a good person. Yeah. Does she always make the right choices? No. But there's the hysteria. There's only so much you can do. They're the people to like, be afraid of, if anything. Yeah. And then the reason why she like told on them, she told them that Hunt did not go to Bryce's parents' house and that he actually was part of that whole, not raid thing, but when the Ophians got mm-hmm. defeated for a little bit. Yeah. But... She told the Asteri in hopes that if her and Hypaxia's relationship was ever revealed, then at least they would have that and not hurt her. That's how I want to keep it in my brain. I don't want to think negative, but... Well, yeah, and they very much so let on that they know about Hypaxia Mm -hmm. because they're them. They know everything. Yeah, what Um, do they know? I mean... Seems like I think they have who knows cameras everywhere. Who knows? Um, they're omnipotent. <laughs> Are they omnipotent? Oh my god, I hate you guys. Omnipotent, um, omnipotent, you fools. <laughs> omnipotent. Um, I do think she's good. I think <laughs> she made a very bad decision, and I think she doesn't realize that hypaxia is involved mm-hmm. and was helping yeah. these people. And I think she is inadvertently going to hurt the person she loves 
because she thought she was saving them and thought she was making the right decision and she chose the wrong side. Um, I'm upset with her about it, but I want to really think the best of her because I do really like her and I think that she's better than her choices that she made. Um, yeah. Or at least I really hope so for Hypaxia's sake because she deserves she, she the world. She deserves. Yes, she's so sweet. Uh, I love Hypaxia. Do you guys <sighs> think that Rune and Lydia are mates? Yes. Yeah. One They've already alluded yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Yes. I know that she smelled like it and they haven't really like physically touched, just mind touched. No, they, 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 but they only in the dream, the, the mind. In the bridge. Yeah. In the mind. I know, I like, but I feel like they, go? in this thing, I feel like yeah, it counts. They mind fuck. They, they, they can actually, they can feel each other. I know, but yes. like, even in my dreams, I feel like I can feel someone stabbing me when I'm having a nightmare. Like, <laughs> really? slightly different what but they say the like scent on her is very faint so i don't know if if they consummated the deal in the actual enough if it would like intertwine more but hopefully this will at least keep pollux out of the loop (laughs) well and she he keeps like he's like drawn to her she's drawn to him like he makes a lot of things of like how he's changing internally in regards yes. to her and then the scent thing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I hundred percent think that they are mates. Also, I think that Lydia is going to be able to talk to Bryce through the calm yes. while she's in Lunathian. Yeah. She's going to be able to talk to her. I think yeah. so too. All right, Kayla, are you, um, are you ready to unleash your theories beast within you? Everyone, yeah. turn back now if you do not want any potential spoilers. We are going deep into theories time. Oh shit! Here we go. Are it's ready? theory time. Theory it's time. Theory I got time. my snacks. I'm ready. It's Kayla's ready favorite go. time. It's Kayla's favorite time. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Theories. So the first person that we're going to talk about is the Under King. All right, later. So we describe him as a voice that's simultaneously ancient and youthful, cold but dry. He's ten feet tall, rich black velvet robe draping to the ground. Darkness swirled all around him. He's a desiccated corpse. He has a lipless mouth with brown teeth that are half rotted, and he's crowned with. Um, gold jewels he's hideous but regal he looks like a long dead king of old left to rot in some pharaoh who had emerged to make himself master of this land so this reminded me of two things one the surreal he looks just like the surreal so could they be related and and also like kind of all-knowing creature Two is the barrel white. Um, so in Throne of Glass, Aelin has to go into the barrel white mounds in Air of Fire. And they are these mounds that are from princes of old, like royalty of old are put here with all their jewels and stuff. But they are locked behind iron doors, which iron holds in magic. So were these magical princes of old and then one of those doors in that scene when Aelin's walking through is open so I'm curious if maybe he is 
a barrel white Mm. or if if he's not a white specifically Mm -hmm. if he is one of those long dead kings that somehow got through one of the rifts and then just Mm -hmm. established himself there to feed off of souls so that's my theory about him Mm -hmm. next we go into hunt okay is hunt thur resurrected Mm -hmm. Or is Thur his father? So Thur, <laughs> he's referenced so on page several ninety six books, but it's many small times. references. So very small references. Bryce examines a nine thousand year old bust of Thur, mm-hmm. near a nearly forgotten minor storm deity. All that remained of him in their current culture was a planet, a very giant planet, and then Thursday was named after him. Thur to Therian was an ancient demigod, and then Fury calls him a thunder god. On page 478, Bryce says Bryce couldn't help but marvel at the sight of him, like a god of lightning, like Thur himself. Lightning wrapped around Hunt's head, like a crown, making a making of Hunt an anointed primal god. Ooh. Hunt's eyes, pure lightning, filled them no whites no irises nothing but lightning it snapped around him vines wreathing his arms and brow so he's literally like a lightning god so thur we think because in the depiction in the ccb is thur like i read in the thing Mm -hmm. him holding up a hammer Mm -hmm. thur thor you know Mm -hmm. and what he's actually going to do is shoot his lightning down through a sword. The sword is actually what he's imbuing his power it. into. Getting so it. <laughs> we believe that Thur forged Gwydion. Gwydion is the ancient sword in Akatar that has been missing. It says a powerful female stood poised above an anvil, hammer raised skyward in one fist, lightning cracking from the skies, filling the hammer and flowing down toward the object of the hammer's intended blow, a sword. According to Reese, Gwydion was imbued with a phase like natural nature power. Back in the day, Faye had power from the earth. It was a lot yeah. more natural in its way. So I think that Thur might be his father mm-hmm. and that Gwydion is the star sword. Yeah. And Thur made yeah. the star sword. Uh-huh. Hmm. No, so, I agree. I like this theory yeah. a lot. And she yeah. just made way too many s- subtle references to Thur that clearly somehow, whether it be his father, whether it be him, whatever it be, I think there's some relation to Hunt. For sure. Yes. And well, I'm excited. He doesn't smell like an angel. Yeah. I think he's he a demigod. Doesn't act- yeah, he's a demigod. I think he's mm-hmm. a demigod. Who knows who his mother was? Maybe it doesn't matter. But maybe he's a demigod that was made by hell, specifically because he has a power that can take out the Asteri. Hmm. Yeah. That could be interesting, especially since Adis um, is very intrigued by him. 
Yes. <laughs> and Adis mentions that Jessaba knows his father. Yes. Mm-hmm. So who's Jessaba? <laughs> well, people believe that Jessaba is the priestess Oleana. She knows Hunt's father, if that's third, because yes. she dipped the sword into the cauldron. So after Guaidian was made, it was dipped into the cauldron by the priestess Oleana mm-hmm. during its crafting. So she would know Thur from mm-hmm. being there and doing that. So they would have then been together in Prithian. Mm-hmm. She also mentioned seeing Bryce as like seeing a ghost when she does her starborn powers. Mm-hmm. So I think she's thinking about Thea because Adis and her were talking and Thea was mm-hmm. obviously Adis's lover. Also, we know that Jespa is not her real name. When Bryce asks the Under King about Jespa Roga, he answers, I do not know her by that name, but yes, I know her. Was that really so, him, though, or was that Rigelus? Because remember, he pretended to be one of the Under Kings or one of the people. Rigelus pretended to be Adis. only. Is that it? Yeah. I thought only it was someone Adis. else. No, no just Adis. Okay. only pretended thing. to be Adis as the cat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's possible that Jespa is the priestess Oleana, and that's mm. how she knows Hunt's dad, if Hunt's dad is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she helps make the star sword. Mm-hmm. The star sword went missing in Prithian. They thought that it had gotten thrown into the water, mm-hmm. but who Maybe knows? she Did brought Jessica it with bring her. It over? With the library Did it come- or something. Yeah. Mm. Did it come over with the Fae when they crossed over? I'll get to mm-hmm. that. But I think that's why she knows him. So I think she's actually more like 16,000 years old. Oh, yeah. Holy no, I think she's old. Which is why she has all those books, too. Yeah. Because priestesses, what they mm-hmm. do is they, like, the priestesses are who run mm-hmm. um, yeah. the House of Winds library. Like, Do you think Bryce is she... a priestess? Unknowingly? Like, did she become one when she worked for Jessica? No. Okay. I don't think so. Because so. um, they ha- have to go through like a whole thing and then they have to wear their little okay. star on their face. But she has a star on her chest. Mm. So hey, <laughs> the eight pointed star is what's on their head. So maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Interesting. I'm intrigued. I like that. <laughs> um, my other theory back in the day was that Jessica is Maeve. Because Maeve was a known world walker. Mm-hmm. so and she's scary and has all mm-hmm. those powers so dusk's truth dusk and dawn so an island of permanent twilight where bryce's former fae came from only a select few from her world could shift into their animal form so bryce's form of fae came from prithian mm-hmm. They say that the island that the prison is on used to be beautiful. That's where, like, the Pegasus used to live. And it's between the dawn and the night court, so dusk. And so they say that it was an island that lived in perpetual twilight. So it's possible that her form of fae came from that island, which is the prison, so maybe the prison is actually hiding the portal that takes you from Prithian 
into Midgard. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's a gate somewhere yeah. in the prison. Um, we already know that the Asteri have a gate mm-hmm. into the night court. Mm-hmm. The island is like 20 miles or whatever. Like it's not far from the night court, like yeah. specifically from Valaris. So it's very, very possible that that is where her fae originated from. Um, also, in that specific world, only a select few could shapeshift um, into their animal form. The only people that can shape shapeshift into their animal form are high lords in Prithian. All of the high lords have an animal form, mm-hmm. yeah. um, other than Tamlin. Tamlin can shapeshift, but that's a part of his magic. So, yeah, hmm. not like <laughs> the other fae world. Yeah, where. The other fae from Midgard that Rigelus talks about, um, this form of fae all had an animal form and they would only turn into that one animal. And it was like a multitude of them. And that's where the shifters all came from Mm -hmm. because all shifters were fae. So that group came from Throne of Glass world. (gasps) That's what that means? Yeah. Because in Throne of Glass... all of them. (laughs) Yeah. Because in Throne of Glass, Rowan, his cabal, all of them have very specific animals and they can only turn into that specific animal. Mm. And those fae are the pure fae, not the demi fae, but they're the pure fae. Um, are from ancient bloodlines mm-hmm. within that world mm-hmm. um, that have not been watered down i guess if you will and they all have their animal form so danica and the rest of the shifter fae i think came all from throne of glass oh even the dragon the dragon's not a shifter they very specifically say that she is not a shifter oh she's more like a she's more like a mare where she just has that other form but it's not a shift okay um but they did say that the mare originated from the world that the shifters originated from Mm, got it so then yes so those are our two worlds that's how we're connecting as obviously this is all theories guys none of this This has been proven to happen (laughs) and all of it could i could be absolutely wrong on so many fronts but okay but i'm here for um let's let's get into rune Mm -hmm. and cormac so runes cousins in a valen can read thoughts they enter a mind, not just speak into it the way that Rune does, just like a Daimati does. Rune's mind speaking was a rare gift of the Valen Fae, inherited from his mother's bloodline. Also, him and Cormac both have shadows. These are very specific traits that are similar to Fae in Prithian, specifically the Night Court. They have a lot in common. So, Thea and her two daughters, Helena, which means light, and Nyx was her other daughter, which means night, which is also who Reese named his child after, found out that the Asteri had an access point into their world. But it was too late for them because their people had already gone over to Midgard. They got lured there not knowing that this was their old enemy. Mm-hmm. Thea's second daughter escaped into the night, never to be seen again. Did she go back to Prithian? When Nesta drums the harp, 
she gets a flashback of people locked behind stone, screaming, trying to get their children back through solid stone that was not there before. Mm -hmm. So they were stuck in Midgard. So she got a vision of when the harp and the horn were used, trapping everyone in Midgard. Thea's second daughter, Nyx, is the person who used the harp last. So the horn is the fourth dread trove. Rigelus says that Bryce will undo the actions of one ignorant princess 15,000 years ago, which is when the rift happened. So Thea's second daughter, she's the last to use the harp. Did she then close all the gates? I think she closed all the gates, including all the gates to hell. Locking herself in Prithian and is likely an ancestor of Reese. Mm. The Fae trapped in Midgard, specifically the Avalon, are kin to those in the Night Court. And they still dress old-fashioned like that. They maintain true Fae traditions. These are also the people that Bryce's star glows for. Mm -hmm. So does her starborn power and horn recognize those who are ancestors of Prithian, Fae, just like Rune and Cormac? Mm. Which the Siri confirms they recognize starborn Fae. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the ancient people who were like taking over Akatar before the courts were established, before the High Lords, all of that. The Daglin ruled over Akatar world, over Prithian. Mm-hmm. I believe that they're really the Asteri because it says they drank the magic of the land like fine wine. Mm-hmm. So High King Fion stepped up to stop them with Gwydion and he was later betrayed and killed by his queen who ran another territory who I think was Thea and his general who was Peleus. Interesting. Ooh. <laughs> Interesting. They went, they went on to take the heirlooms of his house, aka mm-hmm. the star sword and the horn. Yeah. I need the third yeah. I mean... <laughs> I need it so yeah. bad. Like, wild, right? At least. Thank goodness we're getting this book late, like in, in a, a week. week. Yes. I know. <laughs> Agreed. God, I hope we get some of these answers because I cannot. <sighs> Your theories um, will go on overdrive if not. <laughs> I know. Um, so that's how they all came mm-hmm. in my mind. I thought it was just interesting that they described Apollyon appearing as a golden haired and skinned beautiful body. Whatever. Yeah. This is very, very similar to how the Volg kings in Throne of Glass presented themselves. They were always as a golden haired, golden skinned, beautiful mm-hmm. male. <laughs> they call the princes demon princes just the same as those from the Vogue are from a land of darkness mm-hmm. and they came together to war against everyone else. So I'm like, is hell really, are they Vogue? Yeah. And they really still have a way into that world as well. Like, just... yeah. Hmm. Or so are much. they a starry Vogue? Because the, because Vogue were yeah parasites. Mm. Like that, that's how they're God. able to get them out. 
yeah. is they determined that Vog were parasites and they were actually able to heal people of Vog infestation in Throne of Glass. So like Oh my god. Are they I don't know. I don't know, guys. I haven't read Throne of Glass, so I don't know. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, you need to read that okay. like ASAP girl. Uh, into the epilogue fury and amran i always kind of thought that amran was a god from another world so like i instinctually think that she's an asteri because she talks about her brothers and sisters and how they were like lifeless had no respect had no emotion whatever and that's what drew her into the fae is she liked that they lived these like beautiful lives and actually cared about things mm -hmm. she takes the form of a certain fey line so maybe it's fury's line Ooh. i don't i don't know i don't see fury as an asteri just because amran so very specifically looked other like she was yeah like people knew she had scary power and she was trapped in the prison that whole time so mm -hmm. i don't really know their connection that one's still Stomping, stomping me. I kind of cross over a little bit here. When Amran sees the star sword, she says Guidian. Looking at it, she says Guidian. So that kind of confirms that it is Guidian. Mm -hmm. So it's been hiding in Midgard this entire time when they thought it was lost. The star sword can also kill the unkillable just like Guidian did because Guidian took down the Daglin. Mm -hmm. Amran claims that no one has spoken the language of the old Fae in 15,000 years, which is exactly when the rift happened. And Thea and her daughter slash Peleus crossed over into Midgard. Yeah. When Bryce sees Reese, she thinks it's Rune. So are they related through his Avalon kin that crossed over? Oh. Or did Tamlin really kill Reese's mother and sister? Or did he fake their deaths and send them into the sparkling lake that's in his court that's actually a portal into Midgard? His sister and mother get established with their fake kin in Avalon. Either his mom or or his sister have children. And Rune is a descendant of that line, which would explain his shadow and his Daymati powers. Though they do seem watered down compared to Reese. Yes. But maybe his mom or grandmother or great grandmother or whatever mm -hmm. is actually Reese's sister. Because she would have been a child when she was murdered. I'm shook. I just. I mean, I definitely people think they're related these somehow. Things. I just can't wait for it to be confirmed. Because, I mean, the fact they're practically identical. Like, that is a dead giveaway. That there is some mm -hmm. sort of relation. Well, and they have the same powers. Something. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. 100%. Like. There's some connection there. I just want to know well, what it actually is. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. and like everyone thinks that they're gearing Tamlin up for a redemption arc. Well, he didn't actually kill Reese's family. Oh, that makes him a little more redeemable. Also, yeah, but also then like Reese went and murdered the f out of his family. So like, <laughs> oops, I didn't actually kill yours, but you killed all of mine. Yeah, but also. But Kind of his sucked. brothers were assholes so, yeah, yeah so. i don't know that i feel that bad about that <laughs> yeah um going off of tamlin mm -hmm. so tamlin is described as having long golden blonde hair deep green eyes with gold flecks adian and throne of glass is described as having similar hair turquoise and gold eyes 
Lysandra is described as having emerald green eyes. He wears the colors of Terrison. He has shape-shifting abilities. Is he a descendant of Adian and Lysandra? Mm -hmm. Similarly, Aelin and Adian could be twins. Same coloring. But Rowan has pine green eyes. And he turns into a hawk. So he also has some form of shape-shifting ability. Could he also be a Roalyn descendant? All three of these worlds just are like yeah, way too connected. It's too much for my brain to handle. Um, like, I know. I don't know. Like those ones are like definitely more. my more far-fetched yeah. ones. Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, uh -huh. I cannot. I mean, I, will I don't die. know. It would. I feel like we're not ready for the amount of mind blown that we're going to be in this next book. But I feel like I'm both Rowan or Lysandra and Adian would f Tamlin up for being an <laughs> asshole. Like they'd be like, no, 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 no descendant of ours, bud. We'll fix Whoa. you right up. <laughs> they would not. They would yeah. not abide that. The other thing that people think is like this isn't a necessarily a theory that people think that this will maybe happen while Bryce is in Prithian. Mm -hmm. um, so we know that Aelin crosses over into Prithian during Starfall and sees Reese and Feyre. Reese says that these are spirits migrating across the sky. What if those spirits are really souls after being fed through gates? <sighs> and going to hopefully somewhere better, but who knows? Because it happens once a year. It's like a dump of souls. So some think that Bryce will be there for Starfall and possibly see Connor in the pack of devils go across the sky. I will ball like a I baby hope. if that happens. Also, I do hope they just cross over into a better world. Like, Yeah. I, I really hope there's like okay. some piece of Danica yes. that no. I know. Because then, like, Vaccine can see her, too. I know. Oh, stop. <laughs> oh, God. Honestly, I'm scared for Baxian if that's going to be our, like, everybody meets their lover in the other land. I don't... <laughs> Bax. Poor Bax. So, yeah. Those are all my theories. Um, slash... Oh, no. I do have one more. Oh, snap. oh no. Let's I'm go. Bring it on, girl. Uh -oh. oh god we're already like four hours into it so you might as well um the last theory <laughs> is that there are still at least one dagden dagden dagen whatever they're called in prithian mm. well we know that there's like a few because there's some of those death gods still around but that is actually an asteri mm. so the illyrians the Steri claims that they left this world after creating races that mimic angels. Mm -hmm. So we have the Illyrians, the Pelegrins, and the Seraphims. Mm -hmm. All of those are flighted, so they were could have been testing out which one's best. Mm -hmm. so two of them have wings. One have bat wings, or feather wings. One have bat wings. Mm -hmm. And they created them as warriors, like a warrior clans. That ended up turning on them and helped push them out. Well, the Illyrians are obviously the most bloodthirsty. 
So yeah. it's believed they have their three gods. I can't remember what they are. Corinthus, whatever. The three gods that are the three stars that go above Romul, mm-hmm. their ancient mountain. So it's believed that the blood rite was actually enacted because that one night a year, all of those Illyrians die out during the blood rite and their souls can be eaten by the three gods that are still there that unite over the top of the mountain every year. Or when they get to the top and they like touch the top or whatever, it like absorbs their power, whatever. But souls are given over and uh-huh. like really hit home when the under king is like well war just leads to death more souls mm-hmm. more people for me to eat mm-hmm. the blood right is a perfect way for every single year to make sure that they are eating the f out of all of these souls wow i feel like mm-hmm. my brain hurts just processing all these potentials <laughs> i don't know how i'm gonna I... sleep <laughs> You're not. You're going to be too busy thinking about all these theories that Kayla just freaking dropped on all of us. Oh, I know. They're oh good. Oh my goodness. Oh, I can follow some of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some sorry. are definitely more far fetched than others, I think. Yes. There's definitely some I'm like, that feels very, mm-hmm. very likely. So I'm excited to see which of these actually come oh my God. to fruition. I can't wait, guys. We are days <laughs> single digits wait for the midnight drop we're gonna be there oh i'm so we excited oh, we're gonna be there it's just gonna oh. be like the willpower to not stay up and just read all night i yeah i the fact we're splitting this book in half is gonna be <laughs> a challenge it's gonna be to hard say the least because mm-hmm. i'm gonna want to finish it like immediately Immediately. especially with the risk of spoilers i feel like nowadays so Mm -hmm. that'll be fun i think that's it for our our theories on this episode so if any of you have listened for this very long podcast please share your theories we want to hear them i want to continue to have my mind blown you, you got you got to tell me before it comes out. I just, I want to know. Please mm-hmm. not if you have read any of the spoilers. Please, Agreed. please, please don't be that person. Don't send us anything. I know that it's all free. out there. Don't do that. Please don't send us any spoilers, but send us your theories. Yes. We love theories. Theories mm-hmm. all day long. All right, guys, that's it for our episode. If you want to join us for Crescent City 3, part one episode then please tune in in three weeks from today february 16th for our next episode also if you like what you hear then please share it with your friends don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast see you in three weeks